0: You're going away to camp this summer. Even if camp is fun, it can also be lonely. But you don't have to let homesickness keep you from having a great
1: time at camp. I'm Dr. Judd. Being homesick means missing your family and friends. You could visit the camp ahead of time. that could make the change easier. Or if it's your first time sleeping away, try going to camp with a friend. Or stay for only a week or
0: two. Take your favorite toy with you. If you start to feel lonely, call or write
1: home and ask for a care package talk to your camp counselors they could help you meet new kids some of whom are just as homesick as you are being away at camp doesn't have to make you feel homesick get involved make new friends the more fun you have the less you'll miss home
2: i know the rain.
0: Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is...
1: Hey, what's going on? Nick Vance. Paranoid Futures on social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Hey Jim, why don't you tell the folks what's behind the that uh, Patreon
0: wall. Well, right now one of the things I'm currently doing is I'm uploading all the previous episodes of the Cinemanus movie. I'm creating a Cinemanus movie archive. So, for 5 bucks a month, which is the lowest tier, you get access to all of them. I add either one or two a month depending if there's new episodes or the occasional exclusive Patreon only episodes. So far I've done 6 of them. If you want to watch any exclusive episodes or older episodes, they're all going to be there. It's going to take Quite a bit to fill up the catalog, but also you get early access to the podcast. I put these up like three days in advance, three to four days in it before they hit public. Also, you get a chance to see any um video walk-ins I do in theater, like the pre-shows. I also have AV mixes. I also post up all my intros if I have them, and the Q&As I do in theater. And there's a bunch of other things that are exclusive on there. There's some older, I think, Patreon-only podcasts, which were old Q&As I did, and I think we have a couple episodes or two up there. Where we talk about, I think it was a, it went with the drug episode. I think we, what the hell are we talk about? I think we talked about Blue Sunshine. I, th- I think that's what we did. There might be it's somewhere in there. There's a lot of content up there. But, but yeah, five bucks a month. You get access to all that. There are higher tiers where you get, like, sometimes when their merch drops, you get that merch without actually having to buy the merch. So, good stuff. And if you want to support the boy, obviously, it go- that goes to a lot of making all this happen.
1: We're not all for less than the uh, price of a gallon of gas.
0: Oh, yeah. Fucking inflation.
1: Hell yeah, fuck that. So I guess we're talking about uh, going to camp again today, huh?
0: We are. And part of the reason is because of Camp Void, which we talked about in the last episode. Or not the last episode. The, ep- the episode before the Winnebago episode. We talked about Camp Void and how there was no summer camp movies in there. So I thought for the very least I could do, we talk about a couple summer camp movies on the podcast, two of which I've screened at various points. And I don't know, but before we get into that, let's just talk about what we've been doing. Because, again, we work with each other, but we rarely see each other, unless we're here recording these. So what have you been up to, man?
1: I've been, uh, I don't know. I think most of what I've been doing will probably just be in Read, Watch, Listen. Uh, <laughs> I've just been sitting around, reading, watching, and listening. Yeah, not a whole lot. I uh Last weekend, uh... Nikolai and I went to see uh, Cavalera, which is uh, Max and Igor playing uh, both Beneath the Remains and, Ar- and Arise. I think they also did a show where they did uh, KSAD uh, and Roots, but that, that wasn't the show that we went to. I think they may have played a song or two uh, at the end. Um, it, was, it was sick as hell, and uh, if you don't know what band those two guys are from, I'm not going to tell you. I'm a gatekeeper. Thank you.
0: We, we just had Bleak Week a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago i don't know whatever whenever we record this we just wrapped up bleak week i think as we're recording they're doing bleak week encores because people weren't sad enough oh yeah so during bleak week i did a couple of screenings i showed combat shock with director buddy giovanzo super fucking nice guy cool. awesome to talk about we talked about film we we hung out beforehand but we, and we talked about films had a really great q a and a um hope to have him back to do some of his other films eventually.
1: I think he came out to introduce like Solo or something like that too yeah, like maybe he, a week before he was just in town.
0: Yeah, he was just in town and he came up and intro Salo, and I don't know, super nice guy and you wouldn't know that from watching Combat Shock. And then the other one I did for Bleak Week was the Seventh Victim which was a print from the Library of Congress. It looked pretty good. I think it was a it was a print that was struck in 1987. Oh shit, okay. There I mean it was pretty flawless. There was a couple bits of damage here and there, you know, wear and tear. I mean, it looked like it might've been plattered at some point before it got to the library of Congress, but like overall really nice print and really cool to see with the audience, especially the audience who had not seen the film. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's not on blu-ray yet, but I, I have a feeling that someone, maybe criterion, maybe shout factory who've been doing the Val Luton produced movies. They're going to, someone's going to put it out eventually. Cause it's a, it's, My personal favorite Val Luton production, so hopefully it comes out. Other things, well, we mentioned Camp Void a little bit earlier as we were talking, shooting the shit, and that's already well in. We've gone through two weeks of it now by this recording. Opening week was Blood Games, which we talked about on the podcast a couple episodes back, and then we got to watch it in the theater.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really sick to see that with the crowd, and uh, most of the crowd hadn't seen it, which is also super cool.
0: Yeah, and just, like, I mean, it played well in the crowd. Like, that print from Park Circus, holy shit. I, I know it played the new Beverly, like,
1: a couple years ago,
0: and I think that might be the last time that print played.
1: It might have been the first time. I it might have been the first. F- fucking clean.
0: Yeah, because it was a print from 2007, and it's definitely never been plattered. It looked too good.
1: Yeah, it's weird to say, you know, but, yeah. like, it's kind of true. It, like, a little grime might have helped the atmosphere, but, you know, it'll hopefully... Hopefully uh, you've inspired other people to play it and it'll eventually get there.
0: Yeah, I saw <laughs> I saw Exum Films is doing their camp series coming up and they're playing Blood Games cool. during that. So so at least it's going to play somewhere in Pennsylvania. So if you get an opportunity to see Blood Games in a theater, highly recommended. It. it. It's a lot of fun to watch. It. And then the other thing, which was kind of our hometown film for both of us, was showing the Blair Witch Project, which was a fucking ordeal and a half to make happen. I We're going to give the Cliff Notes version of it, but, like, I did a pre-recorded Q&A with one of the co-directors of the film, Eduardo Sanchez. I had to do it twice because Zoom fucked up. And, you know, I'll take the hit. Like, it, some option on Zoom had changed, and I didn't realize it, and it glitched and stopped recording. But he was really gracious, like, super nice guy. We, so we did the Q&A again. And then we had some problems tracking down that print. The distributor acted like they didn't know anything about ePrint, even though it was playing around the country. And then we finally got it settled. They sent it to the wrong address. So Nick, who was an absolute fucking hero, drove five hours round trip up to Lebec. And if you don't know where Lebec, California is, it's around Bakersfield, somewhere like that? It's
1: probably about 20 20 miles uh, south of Bakersfield.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's basically it's two and a half hours up and two and a half hours back. So Nick spent his morning, the morning of the show, picking up that Blair Witch print so we could actually have a show. So shout out to him. And also we had Deanna Deanna Rooney come out and she played Tree number two from the Blair Witch Project for the intro. So we had a jam-packed Blair Witch show and it was a huge crowd and a lot of people who had not seen that movie. Really?
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't expect that.
0: Well, I mean, this is kind of common and that we talked about it in the programming episode a while back, and I think I mentioned it almost all the time, is the majority of the people that are coming to screenings now have not seen the movies that I'm showing. It's what, sick. No, sick. but that that's actually great because yeah. that way they're being introduced to it as opposed to like you're fan servicing someone. So, you know, obviously Blair Witch did bigger numbers than Blood Games, but like, I appreciate it. people came out to both and had not seen them and maybe they'll come check out something
1: else. Does that uh, does that ever encourage you to do like an encore screening of something or, or maybe even just doing something you know, six months down the road a year, just doing it again and a year later? I know that you have done few, if if at all, of, of like double screenings.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really do repeats. Uh, I know the Cinematech will occasionally do encores of stuff, but they don't. They haven't. It's never come up for void screenings at the Lost Fields Three because there's definitely been shows that sold out and people are like please do an encore. And but I think by the time that all goes down, the calendars already full. Yeah. So it's like
1: I wonder if you know next time someone will bring bring their friend who's never seen Blood Games because they they saw it and loved it. You know that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm still kind of leaning on the not repeating thing, but like you know it.
1: There there are a lot of movies in the world you can just keep. Doing no repeats and be fine, I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm you also
0: know. coming on like year seven next February yeah. or this upcoming February in 2023. So it's like you know, I, I thought about if I do a marathon next year, maybe play some stuff from the first couple of years okay. that I haven't played in a while. Just some I'm floating out there. Just do something fun, but you never know. But. You know, also it's part of the thing. It's like you snooze, you lose. That means you should be paying attention, following void on social media, so you know there you go what we're showing. And speaking of things we're showing, we actually this just got announced pretty recently. By the time this podcast comes out, it'd probably be about a almost a month out, roundabout maybe a little bit less. Uh, I'm doing a special. St- Sneak preview, advanced screening of the WNUF Halloween sequel, which is the new film by Chris LaMartina, who directed the original WNUF Halloween special. And if you're not familiar with that, it was a found footage movie, takes place in Baltimore, some more hometown stuff, plus Chris is a homie, and he's actually been on the podcast, too. He was on. I forget what episode, but he was on on. I think the last on Halloween episode, the one about anthologies and found footage. Mm-hmm. Him and his producing partner Jimmy George came on. And they talked about WNUF and they talked a little bit about the sequel. Although Jimmy's not involved with it, Chris kind of hinted at stuff. But doing a fan screening at Midsummer Screen, which is a horror convention. It's it's more like you know, Home Haunters and that kind of stuff. But they also have guests and they do screenings and they have other kind of events. So, doing a screening on the Friday there. It is July 29th at the Long Beach Convention Center. I don't have a time, but I assume it'll be sometime Friday evening. Beforehand, there's going to be a mixer, so you can have some cocktails. Um, probably shouldn't say this, because I'll probably jinx it, but DJ Jonah Ray will be spinning some tunes, and I'll have some visuals playing on the screen. Then we're going to show the film, and then afterwards, we're going to do a Q and A with Chris and his wife Melissa, who is a co-producer and star in the movie. So, good time and pretty good reason to get excited for Halloween in July.
1: Oh yeah, Scream for me, Long Beach. Scream
0: from a Long Beach. I still say top. I'd say top five live record of all time. Iron Maiden live after death. Shot in the Long Beach. Uh, was it Long Beach Arena yeah it was Long Beach Arena totally I remember when the first time I was ever in Long Beach I was like for my old job before I lived out here and like I stayed at a hotel that was near there so I went and walked over to Long Beach Arena and just like hey Maiden played here in like 1985 I'm sure other things have happened there that may be more significant but like it's like "Ah, that's
1: fucking cool that's the one thing I know
0: that's all I know and I guess to kind of wrap up of what's been going on, should mention in the works Mac Void Zine. Now, I think it's come up on the podcast before and probably talked about it in other avenues, but it's actively being written now, and I think everything's going to be turned in end of July, so right around the Midsummer Scream screening of WNUF Halloween sequel. And then it be, should be ready for late September, October 1st issue.
1: Cool. Does that mean it's a, it's a physical product then?
0: It's a physical product. It's going to be printed up. It's going to be more punk rock ethic, but just maybe glossier paper, full color, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing some things. Um, Eddie, who does the social media marketing for Mac Voids, writing some stuff. I think you might actually pitch in and do something here and there, maybe, pending your schedule. Yeah, we'll see. I'll throw you a little something. Throw, throw a little bone. Throw a little bone in that zine. Be like the be like the old days. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so that's coming along. And I'm actually kind of excited because we've probably been talking about it for the last year or so. And originally we were supposed to do a summer issue. But, like, by the time we were going to start talking about it, it's like, you know, instead of trying to cram a fucking summer issue in and half-assing it, why don't we take our time and just focus on a fall issue and get it together. So it's coming together nicely. So I'm excited for that. But, you know... As we talked about our current events, you know, we're going to be talking about sort of current, but not really, because we're talking about summer camp movies. It's Camp Void season. Obviously, not showing any, but we're going to talk about some. So, we're going to take a quick little break here. But when we return, it's going to be Camp Void with actual camp movies on the Cinematic Void podcast. <laughs>
2: this
0: camping trip was a good idea. Yeah, it sure is.
2: Relaxing, peaceful, groovy. Ooh. And <laughs> dark, though. Man, I'm getting thirsty. Yeah, let's have another light beer for Miller. Lights, light billy. Right, right. billy! Lights, billy! Lights, billy! billy! Lights, billy! billy! What was that? The creature. What creature? Well, legend has it that a horrible thing stalks these woods. Oh, Ricky. <gasps> It comes out when the moon is full. <laughs> What does this creature look like? It walk's on two legs, but it isn't human.
0: It's got big eyes and bold shouting.
2: It's the Greek man! Hey, guys, guys! Hey, guys, where are you going? Hey, guys, where are the marshmallows? like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer, and less. Come on, it's after Man, did you see that thing? <laughs> Unbearable suspense that keeps you on the edge of an abyss of terror.
0: Take a cult film odyssey into Cinemadness with Cinematic Void. Based in Los Angeles, Cinematic Void is a film series that specializes in horror and exploitation films. Currently, we are hosting Cinematic Void Up All Night in the Cinematic movie, a monthly virtual screening series, as well as the Cinematic Void podcast, where we dive deeper into the world of cult cinema. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at CinematicVoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what we do, you can support Sinmac Void by joining our Patreon. Until next time, see you in the Void. Welcome back. We are talking about some summer camp movies here on the Sinmac Void podcast. Up first, now, we talked about Blood Games and that print being one of the best prints we've ever seen. This movie, when I screened it, and I still hold this, is the best print I ever screened. At the Egyptian. At the Egyptian, when I did this for the Camp Void Marathon, which is... Meatballs 2, directed by Ken Wiederhorn from 1984. Ken directed a bunch of things. He directed Shockwaves. He directed King Frat, Eyes of a Stranger, Return of the Living Dead 2, and several episodes of Freddy's Nightmares. So he's done a lot of work. The film stars Richard Mulligan, who's basically a TV actor. Kim Richards, who was in Escape from Witch Mountain as well as Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Night Court's John Larkett, who also happened to do the voiceover for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so we can make that void
1: centric. Hell yeah, I, lo- I love Night Court, and uh, I-, I recently found that somewhere I can just like watch every episode online. So anyway, that- that's out there.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs>
1: I-, I should talk about actors
0: from Night Court that were in the exploitation movies because Richard Mull's in a ton of them. Hell yeah, he's in on um, that's-,
1: that's Bull, right? Yeah, Bull. Yep. He's
0: in fucking evil. Speak, he's in like Dungeon Master, but okay. he's not in this movie. But yeah. Night Court has a good lineage of people being in like trash cinema, great trash cinema. Oh, yeah. Well, we should do a night court episode at some point. But
1: now we're talking. Yeah, but <laughs> get
0: back on track and probably getting right back off track by mentioning him, Paul Rubens in this movie, aka Pee Wee Herman. You also have Jason Hervey, who was in Monster Squad as well as The Wonder Years. Tammy Taylor, who was right. in a couple. The Dick,
1: the Dick older brother in Wonder yeah. Years. Yeah,
0: Wayne. That, yeah, and he was also. <laughs> and you know what? He was also fucking Dick in Monster Squad.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess he was. The, was he the older brother in Monster Squad? No, as he well? was the he
0: was the bully. He's the one who beat, beats huh. up Horace in the beginning. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And calls him the homophobic slurs.
1: Hell yeah, my name. Yeah. Is Horace.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was going to say Tammy Taylor, who's in a couple of Lawrence David Fold movies, productions, or like one he produced and wrote, one he directed, Don't Go Near the Park in Malibu High. David Hollander, who was in Airplane, he was the coffee kid. He's like trying to give the little girl coffee. He's like, well, how do you take your coffee? And the little girl's like, Black, like my men. Yeah. So he was the kid that got shot down in that line. I guess <laughs> that line is probably. I don't know how that. It's I don't a bit
1: problematic these days, I believe. Yeah.
0: I don't know how. You're, it, it, I mean, you watch Airplane, there's a lot of things that haven't aged well. Yeah. But we're not talking about Airplane. And last but certainly not least, there's a lot of people we didn't mention. This is a pretty stacked cast, but Donald Gibb, who was ogre from revenge of the nerds this is one of his earliest roles he plays like a he
1: also plays ogre in this one (laughs) is that what his name is i thought no no, just i'm saying he's just playing the same fucking maybe that's just i'm a maniac i'm a bully character you know i
0: mean that's probably just who
1: he is he's typecast yeah Yeah.
0: early on because he did this like a couple years before um maybe no maybe not a couple years maybe like a year before revenge of the nerds it was pretty close for those you who haven't fucking seen From Meatballs 2. From the guy who has a billion times. I've seen it like six times. Let's, let's not get crazy okay, here. five more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> and the last time I saw it in the theater. But basically, it's your typical summer camp movie where the, w- there's two warring camps. There's a boxing match that's going to determine who owns the lake or gets access to the lake of the camp. And all while, there's hijinks and stuff. And then an alien lands and basically gets dropped off by his parent aliens to go to summer camps to see how it is summer camp on
1: earth. So the warring camps, uh, one of them was as actually like a military, uh, yeah. Uh, they're um, military group. Yeah, well, it's called Cat- Camp Patton, so... Camp Patton. Okay, there you go. So you got Camp Patton, and then what's the... Uh, the camp
0: tourist- Sa- Sasquatch, which I would say is probably the coolest name for a fucking summer camp I've ever heard in
1: any of these fucking movies. Absolutely. I definitely uh, I definitely see a Cinematic Void, uh, Camp Sasquatch, uh, Call Me Meathead shirt coming soon.
0: Should have did it for this year. I definitely did a Sasquatch themed camp void shirt for this year right on cool which i'm hoping to have back sometime in july cinematic void.com or cinematic void big cartel you can grab your searches or your
1: shirts there so uh, this this was originally not a sequel to Meatballs. It was it was written uh, as something else called Call Me Meathead, and then shot under the title Summertime. So this is a, a TriStar picture. Uh, when you <laughs> see that fucking horse, you know you 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 might get some quality entertainment.
0: Oh, you you definitely like TriStar used to be a fucking banger of a fucking like film studio. They put out Where the Boys Are '84, Silent Night, Deadly Night, all rad, all kinds of shit Hell came yeah. out under TriStar and. You know, all the movies that I really love from that company, I think they all like kind of tanked mm-hmm. originally. I can't think what was the big TriStar hit. There's something, and it. it's probably something obvious. But Anyway, yeah, this came out as TriStar. And basically, TriStar is the reason why this movie is called Meatballs Part 2 as opposed to Call Me Meathead or Summertime because they had picked up the name rights to Meatballs, and they were going to do their own sequel to it and they already knew that like bill murray and ivan reitman were not going to participate but then this movie came up as an offer to purchase so they're like "Fuck it let's just buy this movie and just retitle it meatballs part two
1: like i can't i can't think of any like great examples currently but but i'm pretty goddamn sure that there are a lot there are many instances in hollywood where someone writes a film it gets bought and then they take that story and attach an, an already, like, made intellectual property to it and just go, no, this this plot is great, but now it's just called fucking Doctor Strange or fucking... Oh, you know what... You or, went, or whatever the fuck else,
0: you know what I mean? You want to know what was notorious for that? Hellraiser. Everything after Hellraiser 4 was a horror script written for something else okay. that they basically bought and, like, where the fuck can we put Pinhead in here?
1: There you go. So that's what happened here and that's yeah. what happened there and that's fucking... That's a great example. That, Thank you. I
0: mean, it, it's kind of funny because Ken w- Wiederhorn didn't know that this movie was Meatballs 2 until it came out. Oh, fuck. So he was kind of
1: surprised. <laughs> he still thought he was making like, Call Me Meathead. Call Me Meathead. Call Me Pinhead.
0: Some, call Me Meathead. Yeah. <laughs> I think he took that and put fucking Pinhead in this movie. I guess this predates fucking Hellraiser, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, stranger things have happened. Ivan Reitman, the director of the original, as well as star Bill Murray, weren't pleased about this movie being retitled and called it a cheap cash in however i hate to tell them this but i like meatballs to a hell of a lot more than meatballs
1: right on i um i don't really remember the original meatballs and i felt like just diving into this i just assumed i'd be fine and i didn't need to like straight up catch up on the uh, old characters however uh my what 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 really intrigues me about this is is meatballs 2 like what was the director's intent? Like is meatballs to the original version of wet hot American summer or like were they, it, I can't tell whether they were just making a goofy camp movie or whether they were making fun of a goofy camp movie. And it's the line is thin. You can't tell like it's seen. Are they making fun of camp movies or are they just this fucking stupid? And it's great.
0: I mean, that's actually a good point because you know, it could been it could have been made to be just a meatballs cashing because meat there, a lot of sex comedies were coming out. There was a the year meatballs came out. There was another sex comedy that I showed on Cinemaddness movie called Summer Camp. They that and meatballs came out the same year and meatballs is more PG because there's no nudity and maybe there's implied sex. I can't really remember, but like it's a different movie and maybe meatballs too was just like oh we'll do a fun summer camp movie and like make it kid oriented or something even though there's plenty in this movie that isn't very kid oriented mm-hmm. which we'll get into but i'm i'm i really don't know because like they hire a cast of people and like i get what you're saying like were they trying to do something like airplane which we mentioned earlier which was it just to make it a fucking parody mm-hmm. of a summer camp movie or did they hire all these fucking really comedic
1: people just to make a fucking funny movie like everything is every single thing about this movie Every little aspect and and plot point is over the top. Every one, and then they have a fucking they have a fucking alien, which is like, is that just a ET cash in? Oh, it it de- it you definitely know, was, was was Mac and me out at this point. No, it pre it <laughs> yeah. actually
0: predate. We'll get into Mac and me as okay. well because okay. it does predate Mac and me, but like definitely Ed Ed fucking rectal dysfunction. <laughs> 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 fucking ET was definitely. On the forefront because ET came out in eighty two. Terrestrial, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ET was a big fucking smash hit, and there's a ton of ET knockoffs. There's like Nuki, and then you get down to Mac and Me, like mm-hmm. several years later. So,
1: I and think like, so that was the original intent, but then they go like, let's make it a fucking camp movie. But again, I still think like, they are they mocking both? The, it's yeah, it's it's like Hot Shots. It's it's or like actually, I try to think it was Hot Shots one of the ones where it's like they're mocking fucking multiple. Yeah, but you know,
0: but the thing about the way this comedy, scary handled, movie, yeah, but it's not in the same way because it's very referential, and you can like when scary movie or airplane or like Hot Shots, they're specifically picking scenes from a movie and doing a parody version of it. This, there's no predecessor to what they're doing. There's summer camp movies, and there's obviously obviously a template as I was talking about, like you know the warring summer camps mm-hmm. and like some kind of conflict and like that kind of stuff. But they're not really parroting anything. They could be just parroting a summer camp movie in general. Yeah. But there was a lot of camp comedies already. So, mm-hmm. and like at this time, there was stuff like Wacko was out, Airplane was out, and it doesn't. It's not in that same mold. Don't,
1: don't think it's it fits that same. No, okay.
0: it. I I think it's just
1: because it's not a Zemeckis.
0: Yeah, I I think the thing about this is just they just try to make a comedy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think they succeeded. They definitely succeeded. It's funny as hell, but it because it's so strange and so over the top.
0: Well, I think that's what works for it, and why I think it works better than Meatballs, the original. And like I, it's been a while since I watched Meatballs, but I remember watching it and just being fucking bored.
1: Like the, uh, like for instance, the fucking um, the two uh, the two say Meatballs is boring. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it,
0: I I feel like Bill Murray's good at it or good in it, and I think there's other. There's other characters that are good. But it's just like overall just like I remember the last time I watched it which was probably two or three years ago and it's just like I just thought it dragged. Mm-hmm. And I like I also think like actually I'll take it back. It's like I love Bill Murray most things but like I thought it was just okay. And like it just the character just kind of like I don't know. It was kind of a variation of his Caddyshack character. Yeah. In some ways like there's a parallel there but like. I don't know. Just meatballs didn't work for me, and I just remember it being really funny, you know, when I saw younger, when I was younger. But then just rewatching it, it just didn't work. Where it's like, rewatching this movie, I feel like not every joke hits, but I think it's funny, and I think the people in it are just genuinely funny because they're just being themselves. Like mm-hmm.
1: the way the way we perceive comedy over time changes, and that doesn't just mean like oh, this thing that is offensive used to be thought of as funny back in the day or something. But I just mean just our sensibilities have changed. Like, you know, I, I find that I need something like really absurdist, to be like really funny for me now, you know, but like, that's just not what comedy was in fucking 1983, even though this is like really absurdist and that's why I loved it. It, It's, you know, but I still think of like, I'm talking about like newer stuff like Tim and Eric or fucking, you know, wonder shows in, or that's not that any of those things are fucking new now. Jesus Christ memes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I
0: mean, I mean, honestly, I don't want to say it's a meme comedy, but like there's, there's, There's a lot of set pieces that are set up and like they just kind of deliver. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, people steal the show. John Larquette, like, steals the show in whatever scene he's in. Paul Rubens is just fucking stealing the show. And it's not even like they're mugging or trying to, like. It's not like they're trying to steal the show. They're just they're just allowed the space to be fucking funny.
1: It's it's interesting that that who they're warring with is, again, military and not just like a rival camp yeah or something like that because that's what a lot of these movies would be yeah but like instead it takes like it's part stripes yeah versus the camp you know that kind of thing so it, it just makes me think of other like films of the era that i'm not sure came out before or after but they're, it up. They're,
0: they're all around the same time mm-hmm. so it and it's definitely unique for just because it just it is weird yeah and let's talk about just you know it being fucking weird because like <laughs> you know it it has all the summer camp tropes as we mentioned you know competing
1: summer camps you know you the know. tough Italian guy that's supposed to be like the cool guy and tough just because he's Italian really like his, oh, yeah, his only character trait is I'm Italian yeah and so you're supposed to think he's the tough cool guy yeah because like <laughs> fucking Fonzie yeah. fucking happy days yeah like for every- sure and his friend is the like the lesser yeah. of more of the same character you yeah know? exactly <laughs> he's just the sidekick that's the same the same guy Just sidekick, you know, kind of
0: it's weird dynamics. It's like even like it there's just the movie's just out of step and like not really sure why other than they just like budget or just like just let people just run shop. And I think the other thing we can talk about is fucking Meathead. Yeah, like I'm sure that's the deal breaker for some people. But honestly, I think Meathead's a fucking great character. He's awesome. And I, he got his name because it's like me Ted, and it, you know, me Ted, and they're like, oh, meathead, that's that kind of thing. And we already mentioned E.T. Cashoff, obviously, but he might be one of the best characters in cinema ever. <laughs> right. On. Like one, he's a Jewish alien, and like that probably wouldn't fly now, but like because they do like the most like stereotypical thing like his parents are really jewish like they're dropping him off at camp i hadn't caught on to that i mean when we when we screen this at the egyptian and before we get too much further i want to give a shout out to phil, phil blanket from the new beverly because he's the one who tipped me off that sony had this archival print and again best print i've ever screened best print i've ever seen i stand by it the scene where fucking meathead fucking smokes a joint gets hot Fucking brought the house down.
1: Hell yeah. yeah. His his eyes light up red. It's fucking awesome. He, he fucking levitates, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, like, it's just... It's fucking zany. And, like, it's a PG kids movie with a fucking alien getting
1: high. A little humor for the adults in the crowd, you know?
0: I, I don't know what
1: audience <laughs> this was
0: made for or who went and saw this. I mean, obviously someone saw this movie because... Or maybe not because... Something else we should mention that after Meatballs 2... I think MGM or another company that MGM Park Circus ended up buying out got the rights to the Meatballs franchise and did two more sequels. There's a part 3 which is I guess sort of a direct sequel to part 1 and then there's part 4 which is unrelated and stars um I think well at least Corey Feldman. I think both Corey's are in
1: it. Okay, I was trying to I was trying to remember if the Corey's... Or at least Feldman was in the fourth of this one, or the fourth, the next one we're going to talk about, which I won't mention quite yet. But no, he's, but in, the, so he's it's, in, it's in the fourth, the fourth of uh, the, Meatballs. Of, yeah. Okay, I don't,
0: cool. I don't know if Meatballs Four was ever intended to be Meatballs Four. It's a weird franchise. It's another like,
1: one, another one of those where it was a fully different movie, and then they just slapped a name on it.
0: Yeah, it possibly, or it could have been. I mean, it. Movie making movies are weird, especially on like the exploitation, like low budget, independent level. Like shit just gets wild.
1: The third one doesn't hit let's make a fourth one.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I probably the only one that really made money, honestly, was the first one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the box office was on this. It might have done okay, but like I mean, it had to do well enough that name recognition men enough to do a meatballs three. It's insane. It's all insane. <laughs> I mean, but anyway, Meathead. Meathead should be on fucking shirt. I should have done a Meathead fucking Camp Floyd shirt. Call me Meathead. Call me Meathead. I mean, but you know, Sony that owns TriStar and has the rights to this character, this should be fucking action figures. This should be like fucking merch galore, man. There should have been a fucking franchise of Meathead movies. Oh, yeah. I I mean I kind of joking, but not really. And another thing I want to mention, because you already mentioned Mac and Me, the one of the campers is in a wheelchair, and he's like Meathead's main friend. So predating Mac and Me, if you've seen that movie, you know, like the lead kid is in a wheelchair and he meets Mac. It was Mac and Me before Mac and Me. Minus the McDonald's, like, sponsorship. Which is the weirdest fucking thing in Mac and Me. Like, there's, you knew about that, right, with Mac and Me. I
1: vaguely remember it.
0: No, the McDonald's, like, was a partner on it, and, like, I guess they gave money to the production, because there's a big fucking sequence that takes place at McDonald's. You get the Playland, you get a musical number. It's fucking stupid. And there's, like, a... You can go on YouTube. There's a McDonald's commercial talking about Mac and Me, where Ronald McDonald's like, hey, well, I want to talk about this new great movie coming out, Mac and Me. Because I think McDonald's thought they were going to get into the, like... McDonald's thought they were going to be the Disney with french fries kind of things, so they're like, Mac and is gonna open the door and then Mac and me fucking shut the door.
1: I mean, anything with Mac in it they try to capitalize
0: on. Mac the knife. Mac the knife. What? You know? I never even thought of that angle. M- until- McDonald's. McDonald's. <laughs> M- McDonald's and me. But Mac, Mac and me did- pretty much ended McDonald's as- Film career. I mean, I'm sure they still did like tie-ins with other studios and stuff, but I think I think Mac and Me they had aspirations that like that was going to open a door that they were going to produce movies that are just going to be soul fucking McDonald's commercials. I think at one point they talked about doing like actually in the 70s because I think it was Sid and Marty Croft were like asked to do like fucking McDonald's. You know those old yeah. McDonald's yeah McDonald's Land commercials where you have like you know.
1: Ronald. I don't remember. I don't remember those commercials, but I, I know it's in Marty Croft are, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you watch any, go on YouTube, watch any '70s McDonald's commercials. They're fucking weird. Oh, yeah. They're definitely like in that vibe, and just I think fucking that, tripping out, <laughs> eating some, eating a fucking
1: Big Mac. I mean,
0: fucking yes, yeah, smoking smoking a J with um fucking meathead, watching some McDonald's commercials from the '70s. You will fucking you will be tripping. Oh, yeah.
1: There's some mushrooms on your burger.
0: Ooh yeah, bro, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Um. Yeah. I mean, we've already kind of mentioned it, but Ruben steals the show. Larkett steals the show. Like Ruben just, is
1: the uh, the bus driver when the film opens.
0: Yeah, and he's also DJing shit. Like, <laughs> dude, it, it, it's a nice. I'm, I'm actually kind of envious when Phil showed this because when he showed it, like they actually got a lot of the cast to show up and like Paul Rubin showed up and all that. I would have killed to have all those people for Meatballs too, but that had to be a once-in-a-lifetime people showing up for Meatballs too kind of screening.
1: Right on. Did they do that to the New beef?
0: They did it so, at the New Bev first.
1: I, I never think of them as, as having guests like that, but I guess they do do that when when it's when it really counts. I mean, th- I mean yeah, <laughs> this was years ago. Yeah.
0: Years and years ago. But again, shout out to Phil for tipping me off that Sony had this print. Um, but, yeah, overall, this cast is great. It's also very 80s. I mean, besides not besides not having a wet t-shirt contest or quicksand, it does have other tropes. There's aerobics. There's boxing. You know, there's a lot of great sequences, even the non-comedy sequence, like kind of that, when, like, Cap, Camp Patton, like, sneaks in at night, when, like, there's, like, the one Italian dude's, like, getting ready to skinny dip, and, like, they kidnap him because he's the guy that's supposed to be in the boxing match. Like, like, that sequence laid out pretty good. I mean, Ken Wienerhorn was a fuck- Wienerhorn, not Wienerhorn. <laughs> Ken Wienerhorn. They it, called
1: him that his whole life as a kid. Man. Wienerhorn.
0: I think they might have called him that after Return of the Living Dead too, because like, he used to be one of the most hated fucking filmmakers in the world. People hated that movie. But I think Return of the Living Dead's pretty- Part is pretty good on in its own. And I think the groundwork he laid in Meatballs too is what played into Return of Living Dead too? Cool. Okay. Maybe maybe check it out at some point. It's, you know, it, is it Return of Living Dead? No. But as a kind of weirdly parroting stuff without being direct parroting of things,
2: mm-hmm.
0: same vein as Meatballs too. Okay. I never really thought about it until we just started talking about it. But yeah, there's a lot of parallels between the two. Cool. It's a fun movie. It's very 80s. There's a lot, the, the movie's got tons of jokes we talked about, and obviously there's a few that are dated. But that's going to be every 80s movie. But I also think there's jokes that probably didn't work at the time that actually work now because of people's more in tune to the absurdist end of things. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's just kind of loose and fast and just fun. A couple other little things to mention. Ken Widerhorn's movie Shockwaves makes a cameo in it because that's the movie the kids are watching at camp. So imagine being at a summer camp watching a bunch of aquatic Nazi zombies invade in Florida. This is your summer camp movie.
2: yeah. Yeah,
0: It's kind of fun. Um, you know, the ending where, like, you know, Flash fights Mad Dog. Mad Dog is played by Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. It's a pretty crazy ending, especially when Meathead makes him levitate and just, like, flying around (laughs) shit. It's awesome. It's, I mean, it's fun. That's all I gotta say. And, like, again, I'm just gonna restate Camp Sasquatch is the best fucking name for a summer camp.
1: So, I don't know, final thoughts on Meatballs too. So I've, again, I I loved it. It's awesome. I I still can't tell whether they're whether it's the OG What Hot American Summer, which I totally love. I don't know if you're a fan. I do like, but a, I do yeah, like that movie. So it's good I, I haven't really seen all the like the TV show spin off no. and all that stuff like prequels. It's cool. all on Netflix, isn't it? It's cool they did it. Yeah, but uh, I I, I you know. feel
0: I feel like if, <clears throat> sometimes it just you can't go back to
1: camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a big uh, big David Wayne fan, so that's that's like always that's kind of my go to camp movie you know and then
0: it's actually a great one and like i think at some point if i can justify it i'd slip it in a camp void
1: nice yeah but yeah that's what it's sick sick i'm glad i finally saw it you've you've hyped it up to me for years so i'm I'm glad glad i finally got here
0: you know normally when i hype up something that's like this there's always the fear you're like you son of a bitch you made me waste like 80 90 minutes of my life
1: yeah i'll never get these 90 minutes back but Sick, sick movie for sure <laughs> sick
0: movie. So there you go Nick's seal of approval for Meatballs 2 We're, we're going to take another quick commercial break But when we return we're going to talk about another Summer camp sequel here on The Cinematic Void Podcast
2: This summer return to a real hot spot I know a place Where the four of us can go and Meet new people ah! Breathe fresh air Over! Enjoy water sports fall in love i love you bring the kids come back the insanity continues meatballs part two rated pg
0: now playing at a theater near you welcome back we've been talking about summer camp sequels here on the SinMac void podcast and up next i'm gonna this is one of my favorite summer camp sequels and it's a slasher movie we talked about a comedy Of course, we're talking about Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers, directed by Michael A. Simpson, and it came out in 1989. The film stars Pamela Springsteen, yes, sister to Bruce, but she also appeared in things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, as well as Modern Girls, which is a great, great 80s movie. Also stars Renee Estevez, who happens to be the daughter of Martin Sheen, niece to Joe Estevez, and sister to Charlie and Emilio. But she's also appeared in other cool stuff like Heather's and Scott Spiegel's Intruder.
1: So I actually watched this this morning and I knew I recognized her, but I didn't realize she was a fucking Heather. <laughs> yes, there you go.
0: <laughs> also in this movie, as we're getting away from Heather's, uh, we have a James Bond regular, Walter Gotell, who is he played a, kind of a Cold War like, I guess like. Communist enemy of James Bond, and from 1977 to 1987, he also appeared in *Puppet Master 3*. Because we're gonna make this a void thing, might as well. Uh, also has Valerie Hartman, who went on to do an episode of *Cheers* and an erotic thriller called *Intimate Obsession*. She didn't have much of a career, but she's very important to the movie, so I'm just mentioning her.
1: All right, so *Sleepaway Camp 2* it's about Angela, who you know from the first *Sleepaway Camp*. You know what the end of the first *Sleepaway Camp* is? Well, she's back. Like, she never went home. And uh, she's here, and she's the uh, camp counselor. And uh, she's taking a bunch of uh, campers under her wing. They start misbehaving, which means having fun, fucking, drugs, etc. What else do you do at fucking camp? And uh, she reverts to her old ways and starts knocking them off one by one. Look at Nick all grown up. I watched watched it today, so (laughs) it's it's fresh on the brain. I watched it a couple days ago, but anyway, let's get into
0: how this movie happened. So... Unlike Meatballs 2, this was the least, there was one person connected with the original Sleepaway Camp, which was producer Jerry Sylvia, and he had the rights to it. However, when he decided to do a sequel about a good six, seven years after the original, didn't bring along original writer-director Robert Hilsick, as well as star Felissa Rose, Jonathan Tristan, Susan Glaze, all those people didn't come back.
1: Well, it's weird that they didn't bring Phyllis Rose back. Well, she
0: did audition for it, but because they kind of were going to change the tone. Mm -hmm. Because I think Sleepaway Camp, you know, I know, again, we're using the term problematic with things in the movie. It's such a, like, it's a a rare slasher movie where there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of things to think about in it. Mm -hmm. And for this sequel, all that shit gets thrown out to be jokey. To some extent. Like, it, you know, there's nothing in this movie that has the same impact as the ending of Sleepaway Camp. But I think at the same time, it's like, well, we're not going to be able to top that. Yeah. So let's go in the other direction. Which is where our director, Michael A. Simpson, comes in. And I have a little quote from him that he said in an interview. Basically, he said... He knew he had his work cut out for him filming a sequel to a popular horror movie, especially one that would have a totally different tone. He said, doing a sequel is a tricky experience. It's sort of like sleeping with another guy's wife or girlfriend.
1: Yeah. I think that, and this, this one came about so late, 89. Um, I just think that they were just kind of doing the, but once you make a sequel, just make it simple. Yeah. You know? And and then you could do it again and again, if you make it, if you've already set your, your, you know, you already have your set piece, you already have everything in place. And at this point, it's just a template you can do over and over. So it's like, if we, if we create some great story, then you also have to do that every time. And that's a pain in the ass. You know, it's like, this means you can just churn them out. I don't know, that, that's, that's my thoughts on why well, it's done they, that way. they
0: definitely turned it out because they shot part two and three back-to-back. Oh, okay. Literally, they shot two.
1: Like, filming them together?
0: Yeah, well, they shot two on its own. I think they might have took a little break and then shot three.
1: I mean, it's, it's not, this, It's not like, some of the same actors, or, or is it, it?
0: No, not different actors, but they used the same campsite. They mm-hmm. just changed camp shirts and all that, okay. and that kind of stuff. But, like, yeah, they definitely... Probably budget reasons, because they knew, I mean, franchises were hot. Even though this was coming in late, you also got to think, like, when this was coming out, like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street was popping, Friday the 13th was popping, like, mm-hmm. it was sequel crazy. Right. I mean, even, I think, by that point, Halloween had restarted with part four and maybe five. Mm-hmm. So, like, sequels were coming. Yeah. So, it, it was striking while the iron's hot, and it's like, why just have one sequel when you can have two in the bag?
1: What's the, um when, when was the first one made?
0: First one was made probably early eighties. Mm-hmm. I think it I'm just doing this off memory. I think it came out somewhere between eighty one
1: and eighty three. Okay. So yeah, they waited they waited a while to do the sequel.
0: My guess is they never intended to make a sequel, but once they saw money on other horror sequels, it's like
1: that's yeah. That's back to back to my original point there. It's just like this it was a cash in through and through and it's like can we can we keep can we keep this simple enough that we could just keep doing it? And I
0: mean, really, they set everything up to be pretty simple because you get the opening campfire scene that like, you know, they're talking about what happened in the original movie, setting things up. Uh, The one thing they did and maybe just to get, you know, the elf in the room, they address the chan the transgender angle early on. And they basically say Angela went to a psych ward, Mm -hmm. had a sex change, became a woman and was released. And no one knows where she is. Right. Or, so
1: they're telling they're telling ghost stories around the campfire at the beginning, and so they're setting the whole thing up, and they're telling different ones, and then they get to this one, and it does, and they don't even, at least to to my memory, and again, it was just this morning, but uh, I don't remember it being like it was here. It was at this camp, but it was just like at at a camp. This thing happened, and and you know, yeah. and they tell the story of Angela from the first movie. Um, so. You know, that, that's that's how they set it up, but they don't really, as you know, they say Angela, and this girl's name is Angela, and she's killing people, but they don't really show her motivations at any other part of the movie. They never explain anything else why she's doing this. She's just killing people. She's just the counselor. She's killing people, and so, you know, it, it is Angela, but they don't really... You know what I mean? They don't beat you over the head with it in that way.
0: Well, I mean, there is, the through line, and although for this one's a little more kind of half-assed for obvious reasons, right. everyone that gets dies in sleepaway camp, except for maybe the last kid that gets decapitated, like, had done something that directly affected Angela or someone that was close to her. So...
1: Yeah, I, I still thought it was more of, like, a more just, like, morality shit, because they are just getting killed when they're fucking. Well, they're well, well ki- for this know.
0: for this one, yes. But, like, basically... The, there is a shift from where what Angela was in part one mm-hmm. to part two being kind of like very moral yeah. in a way. And when you violate the morals of camp. Mm-hmm. So I guess whatever mental experience, like there I mean, there is a leap, and now I'm thinking about it like it doesn't make any fucking sense. But like again, tonal change. And but they set up what the original in that campfire suit is they tell you what happened in the first one. They set up what happened to Angela after. And basically, it kind of like it's enough that the through line that now she is a super camper camp counselor with this moral complex that if you violate her moral compass, you're getting 186 or 187. Mm-hmm. Sorry, getting 86 or 187 there.
1: People people think she's just and she's telling them like, oh, yeah, I just sent them home. You know, they were. Yeah. they did something bad. I sent them home. I sent them away. She kind of keeps saying that as she kills more and more as the, as the count goes up. And there, I, I think there's some great kills in this one. There's some awesome stuff that happens. Do, do you know who did the effects offhand? I don't.
0: I can't remember offhand. The the one thing about the effects, I think the kills are really creative, but there a lot of them are just off camera, or you see the blood splatter. But mm-hmm. what is implied is pretty fucking cool. And I think it's for a couple different reasons. I don't I don't know if this one ran into problems with MPAA when it came out, rating wise. I know Part Three did, and they had to cut the shit out of Part Three. But I think someone was just skirting around it. Also, I think the tone, like, they, they set things up pretty well. So you have, like, you know, burning the, the two sisters. I've seen people say this movie's gory. I don't think it's necessarily gory, but I think, like, the intent behind the kills are really good. And plus, you now have Angela treading into that Freddy Krueger territory with one-liners. Yeah. Not all of them are good, but, like, you know, there's stuff like say no to drugs and, like, shit like that. It's just kind of like self-referential in many ways. One of my favorite things in this movie was when she kills the the campers that dress up as Jason and Freddy, and she's dressed as Leatherface.
1: Uh, there's definitely there's definitely a facts of life joke in here somewhere. I can't remember what it was with that <laughs> with that uh, to someone who dies or something. They say like, "Oh no, no! I think it's like whatever happened to Angela." When when they're talking at the campfire, whatever happened to Angela? And someone says, "Oh, she's on the new season of Facts of Life." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from Angela, like there there are other great uh, great one lines. There's a uh, there's a girl that's naked in the dorm, and and someone's like, I think it's Angela telling her like, you know, put your clothes back on or whatever. And she says, "Who's going to see me anyway?" And there's uh, some of the younger guys at the camp are outside with binoculars. And they say, the tip patrol, that's who.
0: <laughs> actually, I, I I don't know if they were allowed to say tip patrol. I mean, <laughs> the, there's definitely a pool scene where they're, unlike the previous summer camp movie where there's no wet t-shirts, there's definitely a wet t-shirt in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. There's there's more boobs than blood.
0: Yeah. Um, what did the fucking kid say? Like, I'm going to actually look it up because it's a fucking ridiculous line. And uh, the they had... um. Because they were using underage kids and there's certain rules for filming. They had, like, someone oh, on site. Stunt boobs?
1: No, not stunt boobs.
0: <laughs> well, none of the... I am know underage kids could be around when there's nudity, but, like, they even had control over what they said. So, I'm going to look up the line because, like, obviously I think it was supposed to be Tip patrol, but, like, what did he... It's was, it was something so fucking ridiculous. Okay. I found it, here. So originally the line was with those two young boys that happened to be named after Renee's real life brothers, Emilio and Charlie, the little kids. I think the line was, hey, Emilio, check out those nips. But like the person from like the Georgia, like film labor board made him change the line. So it had to be, hey, Emilio, party hats at two o'clock.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) But they still got away with the tip patrol. That's who.
0: Oh, they did. I I mean, it's in there. Maybe the maybe the rep wasn't there
1: that day. Awesome. And there's, there's also uh, there's a, a sex scene. I think it's between Allie and Sean. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they get done, she gets up and she's putting her shirt back on. She says, "You don't have AIDS or anything, do you?" And he says, "No." She goes, "Great. See you around." Is, and just takes off.
0: And that kid was underage. They had to use a stunt double for that stunt so, cock. Yeah, stunt cock for that <laughs> dude. That line is like fucking brutal. And like, there's no way you could do that joke now at all. It's, just, it's so wrong but it's like it's also so flippant with the times
1: yeah I mean yeah
0: again like both of these movies have things that didn't age well and that definitely I mean that was probably in poor ta- I mean that was definitely in poor taste at the time in but
1: 1988 like, that was in poor taste and
0: I should and I'm gonna do a correction here we said 89 for this that was actually part 3 was 89 this is 88 I fucked up so Sleepaway Camp 2 1988 not 89 but, yeah, there's a lot of, like, one-liners in this movie. And, like, you know, again, things have not aged well. Things were probably problematic then that are problematic now. But I think overall, like, the movie works. Like, the jokes, the one-liners, they all work. It shouldn't work, but it goes. And, like, a lot of it has to do with um, Pamela Springsteen. She's actually really great in this movie.
1: Uh, So who does she play?
0: She plays Angela. She's Angela, okay. She's Angela. Okay. I don't know. We we were talking about the deaths and stuff before we got sidetracked about party hats at two o'clock and the nip patro- or the tip patrol and all that. But like, Allie's death in the outhouse is fucking vile.
1: There was a um, there was a point during that death where she comes back. You know, she's like pushing her into the fucking you know into where you shit or whatever. You know, in 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 the hole in the outhouse. And uh, and so she's she's all body in at this point, and she's trying to climb out. And so she's still trying to like. You know, kill her and stab her and shit while she's climbing out as she's climbing out covered in shit covered in mud whatever the fuck and has like leeches on her i swear one of those cuts it's a different person coming out of the fucking toilet. <laughs> I could be wrong, but like maybe it's just the difference of like what you look like when you're not covered in shit and leeches, and when you do. But I swear it was it was like a different person, like a quick cut at the end. And if so, awesome.
0: Like it, it could have been you know, like I just
1: need a little more coverage. Get in there.
0: It's like hey, you want to do that again? No. So I mean i I don't know if that's true, but I wouldn't put past this production. Yeah. Just, just how this movie is made, it's quite possible. Like we needed, like we need one more close up. Hey, you look like yep. the actor getting the fucking shitter. But like that, that death is probably the vilest because one, she gets stabbed in the back first. So then she gets shoved into shit, which means there's fucking shit going into your open wound. So it's instant infection. So even if you don't die in the shitter, you're gonna die from some kind of bacterial fucking poison or death or whatever. Anyway. So it, it's all it's just mean.
1: It really is. It's a br- the when she stabs her in the back, it's brutal. And it's it's like that kind of thing, you know, at least in movies, it seems like where you you don't know what the fuck that was. You yeah. know what I mean when you get stabbed in some weird ass spot like that? Yeah, I mean she's it, probably just like, ah, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And it's, and then <laughs> repeatedly, yeah.
0: And it's like it's not a spot where you can like kind of like try to stop the bleeding because yeah. it's in your fucking back. Yeah. That's why Ray Capo always talked about being stabbed in the back. It's a bad thing. That's right. Even even if you aren't youth crew, it's a bad thing.
1: So so this movie, late 80s hair metal, thrash metal is all still like real big. There's lots of mullets in this movie.
0: Oh, this has probably the most mullets in a movie outside of maybe one from Texas.
1: Right, like Black Roses or something. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of mullets, the most mullets I've ever seen in real life was when I got like stuck at a layover in the Dallas airport. Nice. so
1: modern mullets or semi-modern mullets dude i mean mull- mullets kind of came back a year or two ago fact, well, no, no, you the, still the,
0: see some like no, no these were dudes that had mullets in the 80s that maintained oh, the mullets yeah, yeah, yeah. into the 2000s the classic and they also had the handlebar mustache and like it was
1: like i mean even our buddy sink shower had a mullet pretty recently he probably still does now he's in uh, colorado but yeah i mean motherfuckers it, be having mullets
0: yeah but like <laughs> this was in 2000 like eight when I was stuck at the airport, and, like, I was just sitting there, and, like, every plane that landed, at least
1: 10 people got off that plane that had a fucking mullet. Hell yeah. Like, straight up Billy Ray Cyrus style. Yeah, fucking I mean, don't... Ate the achy, breaky mullet. Yeah, the, the, it was the <laughs> achy,
0: breaky mullet. Like, they were gonna go fucking two-step after they got off the plane. In hey, respect to them. Yeah, man. Just get get to that shit kicker bar as we got sidetracked on mullets
1: uh, you were saying thrash metal oh so there's a ton of great uh thrash in this movie and i, I got to admit i i didn't really recognize much of anything um the yeah none of like there was a lot of great songs in the soundtrack but uh you know either it was like some
0: i mean the biggest band probably on that soundtrack and they were probably they're probably bigger now than they were they were they're probably bigger they were bigger on paper then, but they probably weren't. I mean, they were everyone's favorite thrash metal band, which was Anvil. Mm-hmm. Anvil mm-hmm. was on the soundtrack.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I don't, I don't really know their fucking their stuff that well.
0: I mean, I, I just mentioned because there's a big fucking. But documentary I, I saw yet.
1: the documentary, and yeah, it's cool. It's a cool story. It's spinal Tap in real life. Um, who else is, did? Did you recognize any other songs? I,
0: I didn't, but the song I really love—it's the end credit song. I actually used it when I did Camp Void Year One. I use the song trailers that um song "Desperate to Survive" by Obsession. Okay, because it's it's like a thrash metal power ballad type mm-hmm. thing. Okay, because you know like the all those thrash bands would do the thrash stuff and then they would like
1: yeah you gotta have your cemetery gates.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it's like the borderline when like you're a thrash band but you want to kind of get some of that like hair metal money. Oh yeah, you're doing a ballad, mm-hmm. but this one's a fucking ripper. Sick. Like when I. When I was rewatching, like I used the Shaw Factory Blu-ray, that's what they have on the fucking like DVD me- or Blu-ray menu. I'm just like, I'm just leaving this alone because I'm fucking vibing.
1: Hell yeah! There, there was a uh, there was a point in the movie, and it's when, uh, you know, when they show that room where Angela has all the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, on the couch, sitting next to one of the dead bodies, is a Flotsam and Jetsam record. Um, I don't know the one in particular that's on the couch. It's one I've seen many times that has kind of a traditional tattoo drawn, kind of like dragon, whatever mm-hmm. type thing, a crazy looking thing. Um, I, I did one of actually one of the first uh, metal CDs I ever owned was Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, No Place for Disgrace, which definitely was um, uh, Jason Newstead from Metallica. This was his band before he joined Metallica. And uh, I think that was maybe one of the, la- the last uh, Flotsam record he played on. It, uh, before when he joined, you know, because I think maybe the Black Album, well, he, he was no, Justice. No, he was on
0: Injustice because Justice oh, came was out. Was that 88? 89, I think.
1: 89, okay. I mean, 88,
0: 89.
1: <clears throat> was he really on Justice? You can't hear that goddamn bass.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, my takeaway from rewatching this, and the, it's not really takeaway because I've noticed it every time I've seen it, it, the movie does borderline on teen sex comedy summer camp movie. And there's definitely, like I said, there's more, you said there's more boobs than blood in this, clearly. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more comedy than kills. But, you know, there's things in it. There's like the panty raid say, scene, and then you have the follow-up jockstrap raid scene, which is actually funnier than the panty raid one, because they're holding that one dude down. He's like, oh, I can't move, and they're just stealing everyone's jockstraps. Uh, you got, we already talked about the, the two pervy teens, the Emilio and Charlie characters who have the Polaroid camera. Which was pretty sleazy. Burn right on. Yeah, pretty. yeah.
1: It's the old uh, monster
0: squad trick. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another problematic thing. I mean, it's you just a of...
1: thing in the '80s, man. You just did some you peeping tom shit. Take some Polaroids. Yeah. It's it's typically like want somebody in your crew's older sister. Yeah. And but but
0: they, they they did get comeuppance for that. Angela did fucking wax those little fucks. Yeah. There you go. there you go no no she
1: killed everybody and that's that's no spoiler
0: i mean oh yeah she did literally everyone except for renee estevez's character fucking dies
1: yeah i i i i personally think you know i know that you say that this is more of a comedy than whatever but i think that this stands up well as a great uh 80s like camp slasher i think this is just as good as most of your friday the 13th i mean I, 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 i actually it's just a lot of fucking fun man
0: I actually think it's better, because it is fun. And, like, a lot of those Friday 13th movies are not fun. I mean, I'm on record, and I'm not a super fan or whatever, so maybe I shouldn't comment. But, like, this one's at least fun, and it's rewatchable. And I think it's because all the other elements work. You know, your comedy elements work. Your kills work. Yeah, they're not as graphic, and maybe she's not Jason Voorhees, but it's like, Jason Voorhees is also, like... What is he? Is he a fucking zombie? Is he a fucking baby? What, you know? A dr- I mean, what the fuck is? Angela's a tangible fucking person yeah. who has great one-liners and fucking stabs the shit out of people. You kind
1: you kind of like her, but you know she's the bad guy.
0: Yeah, and she's also in this movie. She's a little bit of maniac, you know, Joe Spinell, because like we already talked about the room, but she has a whole room of fucking people just hanging out, dead body stuff, which is very maniac esque. Which is like, I think it's fucking, it's also creepy. So like, again, I think you're right. It's a great slasher movie and it's also a great sex comedy. Mm -hmm. It does both elements well. As I said, sex comedy, you know, essentially Angela's the John Vernon in this movie. You know, John Vernon was Dean Wormer in like Animal House and, you know, he's like stomping out trying to get rid of the bad scenes except she's more successful than john vernon was in animal house yep. because she fucking stomps everyone's ass out a couple other things i want to talk about here you know so we already mentioned part two and three were shot back to back which is probably why i accidentally put 89 instead of 88 but mm. whatever uh they were shot at the same camp which was in it was a ymca in waco georgia i know there's been videos online where people went and visited them i think they're it's a defunct ymc now so it's overgrown but there's still like cabins and shit just covered with forest now uh the dream sequence in the movie that kind of replays everything that happened that was added after the fact when they were short on running time i mean the thing was it's like it was lean and mean jokes were flying people were dying Wasn't a lot of shit that they were going to cut out, so they used everything and were like, oh shit, we got to pad some time. So that whole dream sequence, that was there for that. Oh, I do want to talk about the ending, Mm -hmm. which I think is great because, like, you know, Renee Estevez's character lives, even though she's thought to be dead and she's running out of the woods. And Angela, after she fucking kills everyone, hitchhikes, and then she's with a lady who wants to smoke. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe there are some parallels that to youth did today here. <laughs> I maybe Angela is Milton Straight Edge. Nice. You know, she killed people for drinking, drugging, having sex.
1: Again, I, I I don't know what that is in uh you know, we're the we're the it's like you got a bunch of probably young kids making these movies for the most part. Yeah. But then you've got like the producers, the the people with the money funding these movies. Like I, I, I just I I the You know, like just in a lot of these like 80s slashers, that's the overall theme is that people are getting killed when they're teen when teenagers are doing, quote unquote, bad things. And like who was who was like the fucking who was coming up with this shit? Well, (laughs) you know, like because it's that's the message that I'm reading into it. I, you know? I
0: think a lot of it comes from Friday the 13th mm-hmm. with Jason's mom because Jason's little ass drowned because mm-hmm. two of the counselors were fucking instead yeah. of watching him. So that's where that whole arc of morality or moral superiority of, like, you're doing bad stuff, you need to die. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of slashers came I mean, I off it, of it. It,
1: just, it. does work when it's a bunch of fucking teens in the woods. It's just like, well, well, what are they going to be doing? And what can we kill them for? Well, you I know? mean...
0: I'll use, I'm paraphrasing John Carpenter here, but, like, he's... Because people try to say, like, Halloween had the same motif in it, but John's like, people didn't die because they were having sex or drinking beer. They died because they weren't paying attention. Nice. So it wasn't this moral high point. It's because, like, Jamie Lee Cur- Curtis's character, Laurie Strode, fucking smokes a joint while listening to a fucking Blue Oyster call. So she's high getting dropped off the babysit. Mm-hmm. So she's not completely, like virginal pristine, not doing anything wrong, so that kind of invalidates that. But I think a lot of it comes from the Friday Thirteenth thing, and people like, I don't know, just some moral standpoint, like trying to give justification to killing someone in a I mean, horror
1: movie. As you said, uh, they are that's they're great distractions. Yeah, so
0: I mean that that's all it is. It's just like you know, because if you think of it's a zombie apocalypse. You're not fucking doing bong hits while you're outside when you could get eaten by something. But if you're at a summer camp, and you I don't might think... try. It, well, you might try, but... <laughs> but I'm saying, like, if you're at a summer camp and you don't realize someone is out to kill you, you're not paying attention. Because it's not on your radar. Because you're not like, oh, well, it's a summer camp, I guess there's someone here to fucking kill me and you're on high alert. No, you're fucking chilling. So that's the other thing. But again, I don't know, it's a, it's a distraction thing. And one last thing I want to talk about trivia-wise. So the cover, the VHS cover, the iconic VHS cover of Sleepaway Camp 2. I remember seeing that cover more so than the original Sleepaway Camp because I would always see the video story, and I thought it was always cool because it's Angela, I'm using quotes, with her backpack that has the hockey mask and the Freddy glove in the back. I think it's a really great cover. However, you will notice that is not Pamela Springsteen. Yeah. It is a model or actor, I'm not sure which, the name of Connie Craig for years it was even listed people didn't know who the fuck was actually on it I guess this is more recent development but basically I don't think Pamela was available to shoot the uh, the poster or VHS covers for part two and three so Connie Craig did them and that's why but it's a really iconic cover but it's hilarious to think in the span of two movies three different actors represented Angela one on the VHS cover, one within the movie, and one in the previous original movie. Weird shit.
1: That it's, could It's a great cover. I love I love that poster or that that VHS cover. It's It's, it's fuck- iconic. It's it, it's cooler than than most 80s camp horror. I mean, you know?
0: in a way like I was going to say does the movie live up to the cover? It, it's something I'm thinking about, because there definitely is the scene where she kills the guy dressed as Freddy and just, uh, dressed as Jason. So, that's the other thing. The thing that's on the cover actually happens in the fucking movie. Think of how many horror movies have covers with really awesome shit that never, ever fucking happens in them. Oh, yeah. So, it delivered. Granted, the actor on the cover isn't the same actor delivering it, but it It delivered. And, I mean, I remember as a kid not realizing this was, like, a horror comedy type thing that, like, I was just like, man, this shit's serious. I just thought, like, that's badass. Like, I don't know what's happening, but, like, it's, I don't know, like, shots fired. Fuck you, Jason. Fuck you, Freddy. Which is kind of what it is, but, I mean, obviously Sleepaway Camp 2 wasn't having the marketing muscle of the Elm Streets or Friday 13th at the time because it didn't come out on a... Big studio, you know.
1: Right. It's maybe not so much a "fuck you, Jason and Freddy" is as it is a "hey, Jason and Freddy, why don't you slide all of that fucking money over here?"
0: Yeah, essentially, it it's basically acknowledging why the sequel exists yeah. and kind of a a parody, as you will. Maybe not parody, maybe just self referential like joke mm-hmm. that's on the cover. But I think it's awesome. So, anyway, final thoughts on Sleepaway Camp Two?
1: I think much like uh much like Meatballs Two, um even though I know that they're going to be bad, I'm ready to watch the rest of the sequels. I'm ready for three and four of both of these. So I think that's high praise coming from me, man. I uh, I loved this one. Yeah, it's this sick. one's
0: great. And I do want to say part three isn't as good as two. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of the trims or whatever, or just the cast. Like they, It's kind of weird because they were made back to back. And like they do kind of have the same energy. But for some reason, three doesn't hit the same as part two. And I don't think 3 is a bad slasher, but I feel like whatever lightning in the bottle they managed to snatch up for this one just kind of, like, takes it over top. Because, like, I'm not saying it's better than Sleepaway Camp 1. I mean, you can't really compare them. I don't even think it's fair to compare them because it's just, like, you know, one's an orange, one's an apple. And it's, like, they both taste fucking good and they're fucking great. And if you're in the mood for one or the other, you're going to, you know, you might enjoy one better than the other. I mean, obviously, I think Sleepaway Camp is one of the best summer camp slashers ever made, period, because of just everything that happens to it. But I think this as kind of like, I, I think another thing that probably played into the more humor aspect, besides Freddy Krueger, is Evil Dead 2 and things like that. Because, like, definitely the the horror, there was horror comedy in the air. Like, a couple years before that, there was also Return of the Living Dead and Reanimator. So, comedy and horror was kind of out there anyway yeah,
1: that, that's that's what i love about a lot of those 80s films that you just mentioned i mean it's they're great because they're gory and they're hilarious so bring that back man bring it back i, I think I, something I, a lot of modern horror is missing it's it either tries to be too quote-unquote elevated or you know it's just like it's it's either just it either just straight up sucks or it's trying to be way too smart for its own good and i i you know you know I, what I'm talking I, about.
0: I, yeah i think the a lot of horror movies don't know how to balance Mm -hmm. and it takes
1: itself too seriously
0: i think what you get now when you get horror comedies you get too jokey of horror comedies and i'm not talking about like scary movie level i think like people think they're writing stuff that's funnier than it actually is and it doesn't quite work and when you try to do an ultra serious horror movie it also doesn't work because like there, there's things that happen in what helped make a lot of 70s and 80s horror movie. And even some of the stuff that came out in the 90s that, like, it's an environment that doesn't exist anymore. And I think a lot of people are just like, I'll put it this way, since we're talking about the VHS era for both of these movies. It's taking a VHS tape and making a dupe. Sure, you have a copy, but you're losing something. Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of horror movies, especially ones that try to capture, like, the 80s vibe, it's a cheap dupe and it's missing something and you think it's good enough and then you dupe it again. And when you keep duping something, it just, the idea might be there, but it looks nothing like what you think it is.
1: You just bring a, bring a, just a little levity to the gore. You don't need to fucking make it goofy.
0: Exactly. You know, that's why I'm going to say horror people that make movies, watch actual good comedies. Don't rely on your own humor. Understand jokes. I'm not trying to be a dick by saying that. I'm just saying like a lot of people like, I mean, I didn't even think comedy movies that come out now. I can't even tell you the last one where like I fucking bust out laughing where I think like 90% of the jokes work. Yeah, There's movies I've seen that are funny, but I also think they also have a lot of clunkers. And I think it's just, I think it's just how movies are made now, which is almost by committee. Yeah. And you can you know, for stuff like this, it can't by, be by committee. You have to have an agenda. You're like, we're going to have jokes, it's going to be a little campy, it's going to be a little violent, but we know where we're headed. We're going to take one last commercial break, but when we return, read, watch, and listen here on the Cinematic Void Podcast.
2: There used to be this camp about 60 miles from here. Camp Arawak. All these kids started getting killed. Well, it ended up that the killer was the shy 14-year-old girl that everybody picked on. Except she wasn't... You're supposed to be in the cabin. Let's go. Wait, what happened to the killer? <laughs> what ever happened to the good kids in the world? Oh, don't talk like that, Uncle John. There's lots of good kids. We just have to weed out the
1: bad. Remember, ladies, nice girls don't have to show it off. <laughs> Where's Phoebe? I had to send her
2: home. I found her doing things with the boys last night that she had no business doing. I know the rest of you are nice young ladies and you won't get into any trouble. Let this be a lesson to you. Say no to drugs. Camp Rolling Hills is the best. Oh. The wicked witch of the West. Hey. But I know what happens when things get out of control. You're gonna tell. Oh, my happy I love the, oh. the Good night, campers.
0: Welcome back. It's now time for watch. the cinematic void podcast where we talk about all the things we've been reading watching and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast so nick why don't you tell me what you've been reading watching and or
1: listening to all right i will uh i have been reading i've been going through the uh sandman comic book uh sandman uh is a comic book series by neil gaiman Gaiman, Gaiman. I never knew. It. I you know, I never really looked at always up. I went. I always went,
0: up. I always went with Gaiman. And yeah, I don't think I don't know if that's right, but that's always yeah. where I lean towards
1: I'm sure I could just look on YouTube and hear him say it himself. Yeah. You know, like but uh but anyway, whatever your fucking name is. Uh one of my favorite comic books of all time. It's um it and it I mean it's a very influential nineties comic in the uh Vertigo imprint, which was like a, a, a side little side piece of uh D C comics, but it was like their their stuff with like cursing it was their adult line
0: yeah they they just i i think a lot of those titles didn't start out as dc proper and then Mm -hmm. they just kind of like you know what we want to do this kind of more adult oriented too hot for dc too hot for d i mean there was shit like watchmen and dark knight that Mm -hmm. basically yeah animal man yeah well animal man became one swamp thing became one yeah
1: it was all it was like those are all fucking hits a lot of like alan moore shit
0: yeah i i think a lot of it was just like the weirdo like kind of horror characters Mm -hmm. And, you know, just creating, you know, kind of artful, challenging, well-read comics, you know?
1: Absolutely. Um, so, Sandman, I, I definitely think, is maybe the greatest comic book of all time, um, even above Watchmen, it could be argued. But um, Sandman's really great. Uh, Netflix is doing a series soon, and I'm, I'm kind of scared. I'm kind of scared that that'll be bad. Uh, the last time they did that, to me, personally was uh i love the lock and key comic book and uh i'm not saying they destroyed you know when the, their adaptation is it was okay but i didn't i don't know i didn't finish it i don't know it just what it just wasn't as dark i guess and i don't know but it, i don't know it's a, it's a hard thing to adapt it's a great crazy creative story and so is sandman i um,
0: mean you know how many attempts they've had over the years trying to do sandman yeah, Multiple. I mean, they've
1: they've definitely tried many many times. There's a there's a Neverwhere series, I think, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been you know there's been adaptations of his. There's been there's a Coraline film. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, for the most part, they've all been like pretty good.
0: They're, I think he's hands on with this one, and mm-hmm. I know there's some changes, but like it seems like they're following that first arc. Yeah, which is kind of surprising because like. I mean, it, I, it might be a spoiler, so we won't go into yeah. it. Well, what a,
1: a, lot of what, a lot of what Sandman is and, and, and in the way that I think it could be, be a successful TV show is a lot of the, the Sandman and, and all of his siblings, you know, death, desire, destiny. Um, the, the, the thing that makes it so great is it's really just it's anthology stories. And, mm-hmm. and those characters are just kind of the wraparound. So I think that could be not easily made into a great television show, but I think it's a great formula for one.
0: I mean, you got to think Dream is an observer in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. until he has to, you know... Intervene. Intervene. I mean, the first arc, it's definitely his
1: arc. Yeah. but like, So is that the first season? Is yeah, just yeah, the fir- that the first book?
0: It's the first book. and Okay, pro- so I don't
1: have to blaze through all ten yeah, books well, I, <laughs> before I think, they start.
0: I, I'm assuming it's the first eight issues. Mm-hmm. So it's like him collecting all the shit that you got lol i'm trying to like tiptoe around because i don't want to spoil it because, yeah, yeah. Like,
1: i i haven't even i haven't watched a single trailer like if i'm gonna watch it, i'm going in I, fucking I, blind I, as I, hell.
0: i saw an article when they mentioned it and like it seems like at least in theory it's gonna like maybe not 100 percent loyal you know be loyal to the material but mm-hmm. like enough that it's following that first arc and probably issue eight where death is introduced
1: yeah cool man I'm 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 excited I, I, for it I, am,
0: and... I I'm I'm actually going to agree with you that I'm at kind of cautiously optimistic about it yeah because it's been fucking like 30 years or whatever it's been like yeah maybe it's been 30 years yeah that this has been waiting I know Roger Avery at one point was supposed to do it and then like I know there's a version or a version of it that like made the characters sound like wrestlers or pro wrestlers hmm. Then Neil kind of like, yeah, let's maybe not do
1: that. Oh weird. Okay.
0: So there's been attempts and like, you know, it's the other vertigo vertigo comic I really liked was preacher. And I haven't watched that series cause I try to watch it. And I just didn't think it, I think it was too many liberties and it's like, I don't need a hundred percent like accurate comic to screen adaptation. I don't you you know, they're different mediums. It just it just felt like totally not the same. Right. Plus it was like on AMC and like if you've ever read preacher, you know, there's a lot of shit that oh yeah. ain't AMC friendly as it were. For sure. But anyway, sorry I'm hijacking your no, read.
1: No, please, please. Um so I've just been reading that lately uh for watch. Uh I just watched uh assholes by uh Peter Vack and I, It's, it's definitely like I, I watched the trailer after I watched the movie and in the trailer, I think it says something along the lines of like, it's Solo meets the before trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) So, so it's a very, it's a very like just independent New York film and it's, it's absolutely fucking insane. And I I really loved it. Wow. Um, So I, I definitely, I highly recommend it. Uh, and I actually watched that because, uh, the next day, I was going to uh, Braindead Studios to see uh, Betsy Brown's new film, Actors. Uh, Betsy Brown, you may remember from The Scary of 61st, if you saw that. I think uh, Vinegar Syndrome did a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was kind of the lead in that, aside from Dasha uh, from you know Red Scare, uh, who also directed Scary of 61st. But uh, So Betsy Brown directed Actors, and her brother is actually the guy that directed Assholes, both both films star really their whole family like their mom and dad are in these films too, they're <laughs> they're fucking ridiculous. Um, I and they're great they're great. I highly recommend it. Uh, this this film is about uh, you know their brother or sister in the film like it, it's it's meta like that. But so then he he decides that to further his acting career and directing career he's gonna be a woman now and so he goes trans and that's really that's the plot of the film wow <laughs> uh, <laughs> but again just like through this weird like just indeed new york lens neither of these films play anything safe um they're they're both pretty fucking offensive but really well made and and well-intentioned i'll say they're not they're they're edgy but their intent is good you know
0: i kind of wonder and like you can correct me on this mm-hmm. but like how much of these type of films I and mean, i i would even say scary 61st could mm-hmm. be thrown in there are like kind of the children of lena dunham in Tiny Furniture and Girls.
1: Uh, you know, I didn't see uh, Tiny Furniture, so I can't really comment on that. I saw some of Girls. I remember uh, Adam Driver being in it. Yeah. That was it. Like...
0: And then a- Adam Driver's now and everything. Yeah. But I-, I was just asking because I feel like, you know, they're obviously like where Lena came from was Mumblecore and all that. Yeah, but, uh, Which is a that... derogatory term mm-hmm. to some extent, where I think a lot of those movies are better than what people gave credit for. Obviously, they're indie movies. They're dialogue-driven. Yeah. But like I know, these are kind of more on the edgier edge, Lord. Totally end of the spectrum, which I think like Tiny Furniture really isn't that. It a little bit is. I know girls definitely mm-hmm. capitalized in it. I'm not trying to say like, well, it's New York and all that. So I'm just asking more out of like curiosity than yeah.
1: I when when watching them, I definitely just thought more of like, oh man, you know, I kind of fell out of fell out of following like independent cinema. Like, yeah. I, I think like the whole mumblecore thing at the time really put like I used to pay a lot more attention to more like indie stuff. And now that's that's not where my head's at, you know, and that and that doesn't just mean horror. It means just like even just regular shit. But but it was things like fucking, I don't know, fucking Grey State or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like those types of things coming out all the Noah Baumbach stuff. Like I just I can't, I can't with this shit well it's mean, just, that's just me I'm not trying to like shit all over it I mean but it's just
0: not for me it's a different environment in indie film because like when you think of indie film and who were coming up at the time you had like the Coen brothers mm-hmm. Spike Lee Steven Soderbergh Hal yeah. Hartley Wayne Wang like yeah people like that that were like popping off like who like had various degrees of success in the studio system afterwards you know mm-hmm. like a lot of people that are coming out of the indie stuff there's there's also a weird thing where like someone makes an indie film and they get plucked by a studio like Colin Turt whatever that dude is that directed like Jurassic World like he made one indie film and mm-hmm. they plugged him into a fucking sick I mean, billion dollar franchise that's
1: great that's, that's the fucking dream I mean you know
0: but that's not, every, but like, I'm kind of curious. Cause like, you know, there was a lot of mumblecore movies and stuff they would call mumble gore, which was like things that were, they really would like slap poor Ty West into or whatever. But, but there's a reason because like a lot of the people that were in mumblecore
1: movies were also in like a lot of those indie horror movies. So it was mm-hmm. all tied together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I read about these films after I watched them, I saw people referring to them as such. I think it's more of like a, a way that of a critic trying to put something in a box and I don't, I don't think that that's what these actually are. They're way smarter than that, and they're just like, they're, they're way smarter than that, and they're just like, indie by default. The Brown family, I think that they're making great fucking movies, so check them out. Hopefully, even the parents will be in doing more stuff. Like, all four of them are fucking great. <laughs> I love these two movies. Um, uh, real quick, I also uh, watched Mommy pretty recently, which is. Uh, a french canadian film by xavier dolan and uh it's a motherfucker it's definitely a you know throw that bitch in bleak week it's a motherfucker but like man bleaker than most bleaker Bleaker than most for sure the Um, bleakest of the
0: bleak yeah uh
1: it's highly recommended man it's just a, a film about a troubled kid and like his mom just always struggles with him he's just always fucked up you know much like uh, Nitrom that I watched fairly recently, except that this kid, spoiler alert, he doesn't go on a mass shooting spree. Um, but great uh, French Canadian film from uh, 2014. Um, fuck, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. Great, great fucking movie. Uh, and then uh, last night I watched uh, a documentary called The Acid King, and it's on Tubi right now. The documentary, much like, uh, you know, West Memphis 3 or something, it's just like the Metalhead, you know, satanic ritual killer. Um, you know, like the, what's the great book that I, I think, uh, Kayla Janice had something to do with,
0: uh, the satanic panic book. Yeah. I forget what the actual name is, but like it was, she edited it and she put it out under a spectacular optical mm-hmm. and it has a lot, it basically covers like, you know, all aspects of eighties yeah. satanic panic. And I, I don't, I think it might be out of print, but I think you can still mm-hmm. get copies somewhere and I, I think it's also like ebook wise too, but it's a really terrific book on that era. So it's a
1: great book and a great era of an American culture. Uh, the acid King is about a murder that happened in, I think 1984 and, uh, you know, same thing. It's just a metal head, a guy in a fucking ACDC shirt, him and his friends would go into the woods and like take a bunch of drugs. And I think it was actually like, he ended up getting ripped off or something. And he, he ended up killing his friend and he was a bit of a maniac. Uh, and throughout, throughout the, uh, Throughout the documentary, uh, there are two like notable talking heads that I think just make it like really interesting. And one of them is uh Jim Van Bever, is uh is one of the talking heads in this movie. And I get he must have lived in the area at the time. Like this happened in uh, Long Island. Long I Island.
0: Long Nah. Jim's Jim was from. Uh, he's Ohio based, but he okay. might have been in New York at then. But like, mm-hmm. I know I don't know if he talked about it. But he did make a movie called My Sweet Satan. It came yeah, out in 90s. Yeah, they, 95- they
1: talked about that, and they talked They do even talk about just how fucking awesome it is. <laughs> <laughs> do,
0: have you ever seen? Well, I'm I ha, it's a short, right? It's like it's ten minutes long. Yeah. yeah. Dude, there's there's a scene in it. In where, fact,
1: I think it's just very influenced by this. That's uh, why this I, uh, particular.
0: Yeah, because um, when we were talking about it before, I didn't think about, it, but then I just remember because when you said metalhead, because there's a scene in My Sweet Satan where like they kill a guy and he's like, "Don't rip my Wrathchild USA shirt."
1: Oh hell yeah, Maryland.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we might have to do a Van Bever night at some point and just check out his shorts and
1: debut at dawn. Sweet. Um, so there's him and then there's a, there's another guy in the film who's actually from like a 90s like a '90s rock, like one hit wonder band. And, uh, and like he talks all throughout the film and he's just another character that was like friends of the guy that did the murder. He's talking throughout the whole thing. Maybe I miss it the, at the beginning when they introduced him. But, so I only caught it at the end. But when they drop like what the popular song was and who the band, who this guy is, who's been talking this whole movie. Just it blew, it kind of fucking blew my mind a little bit. Uh, so I I don't even want to spoil it. Like if any of this sounds like it's your bag, just a crew, tri- a true, a crew crime documentary, true crime documentary. Uh, crew that crime. I think is actually pretty sick. Just go listen to Jim Van Bever. Just be a fucking maniac for an hour and a half, two hours. It's, it's worth it. I mean,
0: that's all he's ever been is a fucking maniac. So hell yeah. A documentary, not about any of his films, but a subject matter he probably is very into. I can see it.
1: Hell yeah! Uh, also, for listening, I've been uh, listening to actually a bunch of Orchid lately, which is a throwback to some '90s stuff we used to love and have so- seen a bunch of times. I remember seeing
0: Orchid, and I think the band's
1: great because, like, their
0: guitarist was this guy Will Dandy. I forget what record label he used. To. It was Clean Plate, mm-hmm. and like he put out like a. He was also in a. He had a band before he joined Orchid, which was called, I think, Laceration. Oh, Laceration. Yeah, Yeah, because
1: they did splits. There's just another one of those grind bands that did splits
0: with everyone. And then he joined Orchid, and like Orchid is like, shit. How do you? I don't.
1: Emo violence. Emo violence is what it was. So, (laughs) well, well, what's? It's a, a weird, a weird point in history where like, emo and grindcore and screamo and all this stuff was like. But this was like more like lo fi and punk rock. It it's like maybe similar to like page ninety nine is maybe one of the bigger bands that did this style. Yeah,
0: but like none of those bands intentionally did it. It just became that for all those bands. Or Orchid I think Orca was like it was like kind of melodic hardcore. Mm-hmm.
1: But Well I think they were trying to they were trying to do like the San Diego like early nineties, like gravity records kind of scene. Like Antioch Arrow, yeah. Yeah. But, but more I don't heroin say,
0: yeah i'd say like bands like that but more metal mm-hmm. to some extent i or yeah. more hardcore or something like that and then they like, were all black yeah as you do and, but then like what happened was the fan base that came out of it, we used to call them
1: spocks yeah you get the the romulan haircut yeah
0: i mean basically you either have like a romulan or a fucking like um vulcan fucking haircut yeah and, like, and they would wear all black except for a white
1: belt. Everybody wore the same black clothes and used the same shade of black hair dye. And had
0: the same haircut. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I mean, I remember going to shows because when we first saw Orchid, that wasn't really part of it. But like maybe a year later when like all those. I think ba- the
1: first time we, we saw them, we did we play the show? Did we play it? was like Orchid and Page 99 at the Supreme Imperial?
0: Uh Maybe. It was something like that. I remember that's when we started seeing them. I'm like, why are all these kids dressed this way and just didn't understand mm-hmm. it? Because, like, you know. only these...
1: wearing a sweater? It's July.
0: Yeah, it was fucking July. I'm <laughs> wearing a fucking turtleneck. A yeah. black <laughs> fucking turtleneck. And, like, it was just the weirdest, like, kind of trend that popped up. And it was a lot of kids. I will say this. Like, the kids that were coming to the Sea Orchid and Page 99 and all that, like, weren't they weren't coming from punk rock i don't know where they we were coming from like maybe they were coming out of, like
1: no i think it was the same kids that i was seeing at, at you know that were stage diving at like 10 yard fight shows a few years before that and they just died. Yeah, they yeah they, and then and then of course like younger kids kind of also like coming I, into it but it's a, a mix of a, mix, a mix of new kids and like hardcore kids who just decided
0: to assimilate and dress exactly the same
1: i mean that's a, punk punk and hardcore has been about assimilation for a, a long time it's and, true and, and people don't want to admit it and they think if you say that you're just you're just being an old man and i'm not i can see it bro
0: no i mean like literally i remember going to shows and like you and i might have been like the only people that weren't like
1: yeah dressed like if you a go fucking, to a metal show it's going to be guys in jean jackets with patches all over you just like everybody's the same at a, in every like little subgenre pocket it's just yeah but how the fucking world works man
0: yeah but like when we talk about the spock era yeah but
1: it's we, still it's just the same it's, it's just the same except trends like, man
0: it's the same but it was like to the point like i mean yeah mm-hmm. i guess you have a val point like if you're a metalhead, you had long hair and a fucking fucking sleeveless denim jacket and yeah. fucking spikes on it. I mean, I get that, but, like, there was something weird. There was
1: also something, like, there There was a, much like there was that scene in San Diego just a few years before this, right? There was a whole pocket of, like, Northeast, you know, in the U.S. Of, the, of just, like, those bands where you were getting your, like, fucking, I don't know, Jerome's Dream. Yeah. And just, like, all that shit. And then Page 99. And it's just, like, it was all different shades of the same thing yeah. you know
0: and it just all became very big at mm-hmm. the same time yeah and i mean the only reason i mentioned it because it was just like the the only reason i feel like it's different is because like a lot of those kids that would go to those shows felt they they wanted to alienate everyone else that wasn't them hmm where well, i mean it's just and you know you see you because you... like you know i I would you know we went to crush shows we, we went to fucking Scott, we went to shows where ska bands played or pop punk bands played and everyone was very unified but this was kind of at the point where like this is the only genre we listen to and mm-hmm. this is it and I think.
1: well also i i think also especially like the age that we were at the time when yeah. all this stuff was coming out is like right around the time like all the people that were like in our age group or like just a little younger just a little older we were all getting to that age it was we were it's like everyone had was just turning 21. Yeah. Shit like that. So a lot of these shows were at bars. People are drunk. Like, you know what I mean? And then you would go to like fucking, you know, goth dance night in Baltimore or something. And it's just, you see the same people that you saw at the Orchid show dressed exactly the same. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's what was kind of hip at the time. I mean, yeah. hell, like. I don't recall seeing like fucking like Vulcans at the fucking depot though. They were everywhere, man. Maybe they were may- everywhere. maybe I
0: just don't remember. I just I just remember like when it became en masse, like it just felt like there was just like they made themselves kinda alien to like the culture or like the punk culture they were supposed to be part of. Hmm. Like it's okay, I got the good comparison for this. And I don't know why we're going so deep on it, but it's just something I'm thinking about. It's like basically they're taking bands like Orchid and Page ninety nine and being elevated horror. Well, I mean because okay. they the the it felt like that they, they felt like these bands are so much better because they're saying something more or something and like none of those bands were saying anything different than anything that was pa- already out there.
1: Page and I thought they were. I mean Orchid even I don't know, like I think you know
0: I, I think Will Dandy was like kind of the anchor that kind of kept it, but like if you listen to some of those later Orchid records, mm-hmm. when you get past like Chaos Is Me, they definitely head more towards Antioch arrow, heroin and all that kind of shit. Yeah like i i feel like
1: but these guys i mean they were definitely trying to like a lot of these bands like page 99 were uh uh, but i mean god by the end by the end they were like on this whole like we're punker than everybody else trip and that was like what they were saying in their fucking oh yeah books of their records you know what i mean like document eight document eight eight, yeah when
0: when they're using the kirk cobain sample and all that yeah yeah and then they got in trouble for the one song I, i
1: think that a lot of these bands like they were trying to be like Intellectually superior, too. They were writing poetry and they were, you know what I mean? They like had something to say. I, I mean, help, dude. I think a lot of this fucking like orchid stuff is like Karl Marx, like a, a ascetic dialectic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just uh, you know, song titles in French. Like, they were just, you know, it, I, they're, I, they're I, doing I, their thing. I, I think it was just like the pret- death of death of a modernist. Epi- I, I epilogue think, of a car crash
0: i think it's the pretentious angle that like they fucking bought all in because mm-hmm. like i think they just bought all into it and it was kind of obnoxious just like people like i only watch elevated horror and i only listen to elevated screamo
1: neil perry usurps synapse circle takes a square yeah nah, all these bands i don't know you the some of this shit still exists you know like yeah but like
0: i i just remember like it felt weird because it was bands that I really liked because I understood the connection to the hardcore, the grindcore and all that and like even the melodic aspects of the hardcore and like Antioch Arrow and that kind of shit, mm-hmm. the San Diego stuff. And it just felt like no, we're above this. And it's just like that's what I didn't like about it because yeah. it's just like is a bunch of motherfuckers who wanted to be the smartest people in the room. Mm-hmm. And they really weren't, but they had their moment in the sun, even though none of them really went outside because Well
1: think about this. American Nightmare was just this, but playing hardcore. It's true. You know?
0: And that's why they did cold cave
1: afterwards. I it. mean, it's it's why they it's why they were such a breath of fresh air when they came out. Yeah. You know, those first two seven inches are still fucking so ridiculous and uh, definitely a lot of people love those two LPs as well. Yeah, but
0: uh, and it's also, that's why it was when West did, did Cold or Cave. Or
1: Give Up the Ghost or whatever you yeah. want to
0: call them, American or, Nightmare. Yeah, well, when they got sued. But yeah, but anyway, but I'm saying like, that's why like from American Nightmare to Cold Cave, there was actually a trajectory
1: there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You could follow the line. Like it was the, you know, that's just the... Um, it's also
0: weird to think that I was in bands that play with Orchid and American Nightmare at different points. Yeah, totally. And it's fucking hilarious. And the crowds hated my bands. Maybe that's why I'm bitter, because i doing straight up grindcore at the time when like that wasn't fly was probably probably not a good marketing ploy. But whatever.
1: What, are you, gonna, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I can't go back twenty years. That that shit's done. Uh, also been listening to the uh, Boiler Maker discography, which is a San Diego band, uh, kind of from that same scene, but like way more, like, bass-driven, like, long, drawn-out songs, like, really melancholy, um, maybe similar to Through My Pilot. That's maybe the only band I can think of that Boilermaker are similar to it at all. And again, same scene, just San Diego, like, indie rock. I, I wouldn't say they're spacey. It's just kind of, like, brooding slow maybe slow like codeine
0: codeine or um what's another you band know, that would do that um a little unwound yeah. or something
1: yeah i i think that's a um so i've i've been revisiting that for the first time in god probably 20 years but that that stuff is that band really holds up there was a, a discography that came out a few years ago and it's it's on apple or it's on streaming now you know um And also, Ben, I may have even mentioned this last time, but I've been listening to a ton of uh, Braid Freeman Canvas. So really three records from like late 90s, early 2000s. I guess I'm just having a little little nostalgia trip. Um, So, yeah. I mean, when I get to mine, it's going to be similar. Yeah, cool. Right on.
0: So I guess I should start mine. For read, I haven't had a chance to really read anything. I mean, I've been doing more writing than reading, which you know, I'm kind of happy with writing like all those or working on an article for the cinematic Void z- zine. I used to write a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you remember in high school, like I would, I used to write film stuff and like, you know, I used to, I, at one point I wanted to be a novelist and I don't, that's never going to happen. I don't think I have the patience for it, but like definitely, you know, I'm outside of film school and writing script. I was writing like theory, film theory, and that kind of stuff. And I wrote for some zines, and I had a zine back in the day called Chalk Outline, which was like collage art and like basically essays. And I've been out of the practice of writing like that for fuck long time, and mm-hmm. started doing it again. And it's like it's kind of scary, but it's kind of like feels good to do it. So more writing than reading, but cool. that's not really what this is. It's not called write watch listen it's read watch listen so reading I ain't done shit watch wise I've been watching a lot of like Halloween stuff like 80 70s 80s 90s commercials Halloween safety videos because I've been in the process of putting together a cinematic void Halloween mega mix and this is kind of inspired by that WNUF sequel screening I'm doing Uh, some of this is probably gonna be visuals like pre-show for that but like I'm putting together something for YouTube it should be out by the time this podcast is out but it's like a Nearly three hour, like super cut of just various, like, 80s, 70s, you know, 90s, maybe a couple bits from 60s, because there's a couple, like, Night of Living Dead and Carnival of Souls trailers, but just kind of a insta- Halloween nostalgic trip. And it's also inspired by what I've been writing, because I've been thinking back about what Halloween has meant to me over the years and how I experienced Halloween. So that's my writing is leading into what I'm watching, because it deals with nostalgia and deals with kind of false nostalgia and like, I don't want to say false memories or stuff, but like one thing I've kind of keyed on is like, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties and having a vision of how like Halloween was on TV
2: Mm -hmm. and how
0: like that's the Halloween I remember and not actually living that Halloween. Yeah. It's a weird kind of like Mm -hmm. construct that I'm kind of well deconstructing. I also watch the card counter, which you know, Paul Schrader, who directed, put it on his top film list of 2021, and I understand why. Yeah. Cause this is a fucking great movie. Like, paul, Paul's paul been kind of on a hot streak. You know, First Reformed, and this. This is really... First Reformed, man. Yeah. Banger. This isn't as good, but it's damn close. hmm And it's really great. I watched it on HBO Max, and I was really impressed by it. And, I'm like, I, I hope Paul has a really strong run as his career is winding down. And I don't think it's really winding down he's just he's getting old so like you don't know at what point you know
1: i i know that uh he he posted on facebook that that the studio or whoever from the studio told him to not use facebook for like the you know x amount of days running up to when the film dropped and so that's that's great I mean, he's I not <laughs> that that's
0: happened twice now it yeah. happened for first reformed and it happened for this one. sweet because paul says some yeah, hilarious he's, shit. he's
1: real sick on social media Dude,
0: he's fucking great. Like, someone like takes his Facebook post and posts them on Twitter mm-hmm. in case you don't. You're not friends with them on Facebook. Like, Hell yeah, fucking solid platinum, not gold. Fucking platinum. Yeah, love Paul Schrader. Uh, the other thing I watched recently, at least at home, I watched Times Square, which is um, Kino just put it out. It's a really kind of cool. Speaking of New York movies, but it's an '80s New York movie. It mm-hmm. Has like two girls. One's a girl from rich family another one's a poor punk girl that's like homeless they both run away from a mental institution thing and they start a punk band really cool movie and you get a bonus tim curry as a dj really cool really recommend if you haven't seen Times square and picking up that keynote disc and the other notable thing i watched i went to the new beverly to go see one of my favorite robert altman movies which is three women Mm -hmm. uh i was up to seeing it, I was kind of curious where the print was sourced from or what it was. Um, during the intro, they mentioned it was struck in 2007, so it's probably made around the time that the Criterion put it out on DVD. Originally, mm-hmm. the print looked really good. Crowd was—I don't want to say the crowd was weird, but it was definitely like a younger crowd. And like, I don't know. I—I I think I got sandwiched between two annoying people. I had a woman that put her soda next to me and kept bending down the drink her soda. And then I had a guy that was, like, eating popcorn, like, really loud. So I had to, like, tunnel vision the watch. And this is not to be a diss on the fucking New Beverly itself. It's just, like... She
1: wasn't picking up her soda. To no, drink she... It. she yeah, she time. was doing that.
0: So it, it's kind of a distracting thing. And, and, like, I was just... I couldn't move because it was fucking sold out.
1: So people are psychos.
0: <laughs> I mean, there there's this is not just this is not just there this is just everywhere people just do weird shit and i just i because i went by myself and i had no buffer Mm -hmm. and this show sold out i got sandwiched in between people doing very weird shit in the movie theater cool but i enjoyed the movie again top three altman movie stars on sissy spacek and shelly duvall it's a fucking absolute banger print looked really good it looked like it had been plattered at one point. There's like some like platter burns on it damage wise, but otherwise it was pretty spectacular. Sweet. So
1: shout out to new Beverly for playing that and glad to know there's a print out there. I have to jump in cause you just reminded me and I'll keep it brief, but I just watched, uh, I, I just watched in one day, it's eight episodes. I just watched, uh, this new show on Amazon that is uh sissy Spacek and JK Simmons, who is like, uh, you know, Vern Scheuer in Oz. Um, he's a great, great fucking actor. Uh, but there's a show called night sky and it's like weird ass, like sci-fi show where they basically like the intro of the show is them like going into like a secret compartment in their shed and they hit a few buttons and whatever. And they end up like basically on another fucking planet and they're just like in this, like, <laughs> you know, they just like go through this portal and they're on another planet. Like they would just go to quote unquote, see the stars. And so they'd go there like almost every night and they'd just go to this other planet and like look at, st- and, and, you know, hijinks ensue. Uh, but yeah, great show. I, I watch it all in like literally one sitting, eight hours. Uh, I was just hungover after that Cavalera show, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to your rewatch listen. But I, I kind of I recommend it. Is it great? I don't know, but I, I think it's a cool, fun little show.
0: I mean, I'm just gonna say this right now: Sissy Spacek is kind of like underrated. and She's oh, still doing great work she, now.
1: She slayed. Yeah, their their chemistry together as you know, they're they're a couple, and uh, uh, they're fucking incredible. Uh, they're both just such great actors.
0: I mean, I I know probably Sissy's probably best known for being Carrie and Carrie, mm-hmm. but and New Beverly played that trailer and got large round of applause. But like you know, she's in Badlands. She's mm-hmm. in JFK. I mean JFK. She doesn't have enough. She has a pretty nothing role. But like, I'm just thinking of the top of my head. But like, she's I mean she's great in Three Women. She was great in that weird like Castle Rock show that Hulu did. Oh yeah, I I didn't watch all of it, but the episodes I saw where she and she was fucking trippy. Like she's just fucking terrific in general hell so yeah. i might have to check that show out uh for listen i this is a recommendation for you from you i should say it's gridiron no good at goodbyes which is uh, bringing back that like tough as nails melodic hardcore with rap
1: hell yes dude it's so sick right dude that shit is great
0: <laughs> it, it's the right amount of ignorant i need in my life right now it is fucking fantastic Highest possible recommendation if you like your fucking melodic hardcore with some fucking bars. Yep, totally.
1: It's like is he rapping? Is he not? I I just it's like a hybrid of like you can't really tell if he's really going there. Is you know, but is there like like, downset or something?
0: Yeah, maybe down downset. Maybe a little
1: biohazard, but but like definitely some town concrete in there. Like it's ignorant.
0: And then there's like there's I don't know. there's definitely some other dudes doing some different vocal parts in mm-hmm. there. There's obviously the main dude that's like doing it all, but then there's like a growler in there at some point. And there's yeah. another guy that does more of the hardcore shout. Like, mm-hmm. it's actually really interesting. And the riffs are fucking metal as shit. Yeah, it's like a,
1: it's a well written record. Like,
0: it's yeah. well written, well produced. Fucking sounds good. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to fucking spin kick someone. Hell yeah. Top-notch hardcore record. Probably going to be in my top five records of the year. Fuck yes. Right on. Uh, and the rest of the stuff I've been listening to, it's been a variety of stuff, but I'm just going to pinpoint two things, and the last one's going to be funny because we already talked about them, but the first thing was um, this band called Cavity. It was a collection of, like, seven inches they put out called Miscellaneous Recollections. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those you don't know, Cavity was, I guess they were like a sludge band, so, like, very slow in that Sabbath, you know i'm gonna say a bunch of band names that probably either gonna mean something to you or not mean something to you like things like grief i hate god probably more specifically i hate god Mm -hmm. but they also had like noise rock elements and then like some of the later stuff kind of got into like the stoner rock dare i say groove metal stuff maybe the hydra head stuff where but like this stuff it's like they would it's a lot of sludgy shout
1: out mark thompson
0: yeah oh yeah because, yeah, your old, your old boss was... <laughs> the whole The code, Yeah, he put out, like, two of those Cavity records. Not this one, though, but... But, you know, it's a bunch of seven-inch collections, but, like, what I like about it is, like, you have the slow, sludgy songs, but then you have, the, like, the fast punk songs, which was a kind of an I Hate God thing, where, like, they would, like, you know, have their, like, fucking southern-fried, like, sludge riffs and then, like, do, like, a one-minute fucking punk song. mm mm-hmm. So there's a lot of shit like that. There's actually more of those kind of songs, but, like... There's kind of amp reptilian or um rept or was it reptile amphetamine or am, amphetamine? Am, amrep? Amrep, yeah. I'm fucking being dyslexic about it, but like there's like that kind of vibe. So, stuff like you know, early helmet, mm-hmm. you know, certain Melvin stuff, Jesus lizard, like there's that kind of shit in there too. So, that's a collection. I don't think it's available. So, this is, this is a CD I bought fucking 20 years ago and ripped and had all my iTunes since. I'm sure you can find it through nefarious reasons or ways if you want to find it. And the last thing I listened to, and I hadn't listened to this while, and it's funny that we talked about Orchid, and then we ended up in inadvertently talking about it. I don't know. I think I added this last minute, so you probably didn't know I was going to talk about it anyway. I, I didn't look. Yeah, so I listened to page 99, document flagged. And we talked about it a little bit last night. Why
1: are time. why are we both randomly listening to Screamo?
0: It, I don't know. It's it's the summer vibe, man. I guess it is. I mean, in a weird way, it is because like Page 99 was a band from Richmond, Virginia, which was like three hours away from Baltimore, but they played a lot of Maryland, Baltimore
1: shows. They're they're, they're from where Pig Destroyer is from. Yeah. It? So it's not. It's actually it's not Richmond. Oh, uh, it's um. They're from Sterling, Virginia.
0: Okay. So they're not the, yeah, Richmond's a little further deeper. Sterling is kinda closer to DC, I think. Maybe. Yeah. On the outskirts. There's
1: still a few they're a few hours away, you know? Yeah. But
0: But you yeah, they're from Pig Destroyer, which is why I think they play in Enemy Soil, which because the mm-hmm. I think the maybe they're they name they kinda did the nine inch nails thing where they numbered each record, except like they went further and like the name of the record was always document. Number, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think their demo was document number one. I think document number two was a split they did with Enemy Soil, which, you know, members of en- Enemy Soil went on to be in Pig Destroyer and that kind of thing. There's a bunch of association with that. We used to play with them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh,
1: Page 99 was definitely, uh, kind of a local band for us. They played a lot in DC and a lot in Baltimore. And then they definitely even played their last, you know, their last run of shows. I think they've maybe even done a they did like a short reunion thing since but their last shows were in baltimore and dc i mean they were
0: I definitely more part of that or our scene like they like there was many shows we played with them they were super nice guys like obviously they had like three guitar players two singers like
1: six bass players well three yeah. drummers and there was fe- like 15 people in this band
0: i they actually started out with i think they started out with a normal i think they started out with the the two singers, and then that's when, and then they started adding more and yeah. more members. I know, well, I really one,
1: think there probably was like three guitarists, right? There, like, there,
0: there was definitely three guitarists, and there was definitely two singers, and eventually they got two bass players. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even know, fucking joking. I, I hope there were two bass players. There Just was
1: Ned's Atomic Dustbin type shit
0: at this time in this record document number five. A local record label that you know it was a record store we went to, Reptilian Records, actually put it out, and it was based on a song. They did call it ap- My Application to Heaven, which had the immortal line, fuck you, Jesus. Which, if you know Reptilian Records and Chris X, Chris was a, I guess he was a high-ranking member of the Church of Satan. The, the Levee one. Let's, I,
1: I, I think the real, the the memorable line in that song for me, I think was more along the lines of like... The last the last so, part of it? Something about like, if you were real... I would part your ass like the red fucking sea. <laughs> part your ass like the red fucking sea. Yeah, that line. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so it's basically a song like
1: the song about fucking God. Yeah, fucking who God. Does, who doesn't want to fuck God?
0: That's, I mean, it's fuck God, but fucking God. Yeah. But like that was kind of, I don't want to say it's a hit song, but like it was a song because like you know, there's certain like bands that aren't really. I mean, there's hardcore elements, but like when you get a bunch of people to finger to point, yell "fuck you, Jesus."
1: Yeah, when the whole crowd's yelling the line of the song at the same time, but they're not really yelling along to like the whole rest of the set. Yeah. Even though they're fucking loving it. Yeah. You know, but yeah, so that was, that was a line. Super sick. You're right. And it,
0: we, we played with them at the Reptilian, like, was it 10 year anniversary, like mm-hmm. 99? We played with them in, like, Pig Destroyer. And, like, I mean, and they were getting big. And then, like, at a certain point, like, they fucking blew up. Mm-hmm. And It was right after Document 5. And now that's also kind of where they kind of changed and, like, yeah. the whole, like, we're better than you element. Cause I remember seeing them, like, I mean,
1: pr- at the, at the time and
0: I'm not saying specifically they're better than us but it's just like we're we're punker than you Mm -hmm. because like definitely around document eight was like when they did um they document eight they also covered filth which the filth was Mm -hmm. uh kind of classic Bay were they Bay area. Yeah. Yeah. Bay area punk band. They most famously, I think, well, maybe the only record they really did on, on lookout records. So on same lookout.
1: label as green day and operation Ivy and, and the first reaching weasel.
0: Yeah. The, there was a, a filth Blatt split. Mm-hmm. And like, I think members of filth were in Blatt's too, or something like that. Could, or could be, or I, I forget what the whole story is, but anyway, they covered the song, the list by filth, which is one of the best punk songs ever written. Mm-hmm. You know, I that. You can debate it, but there's no debate. The list is good, but like, yeah, they became it before they got into the more intellectual kind of bullshit end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. They were just a really great band, and like,
1: well, you got me thinking, like, in the same way we were talking about Orchid earlier, when you know, maybe when they got to this point in their career where they were like. Weird punkers, everybody else, blah, blah, blah. We're, which is really, they're just saying, like, we're more real than you. And I, and I think that was maybe was a reaction to, like, you know, there ended up being like so many of those bands. It yeah. became every, just like any other scene, like something gets popular and then it gets oversaturated, oversaturated, oversaturated. And then it's like the people like this that, like, man, have been killing it since day one and did reap the, their rewards. Yeah. You know, there's still, uh, to me, there's nothing wrong with a little gatekeeping, a little call out like, yeah, you, know, you guys are fucking fakers. It's like it's you know, it's fucking rap beef. It's whatever. But like there be like it, there's nothing wrong with saying sometimes it, there's no I'm, long, the, I'm the shit. Yeah, there's no long saying <laughs> we're the shit. I'm the
0: shit. We're the shit and talk my shit. Yeah. But like I, I guess like where it was is like the because like when, but at
1: the time I I didn't like it. I didn't love it. No, you know, I, I thought it felt goofy. But I, I but now I want to go back and look at those records and read the liner notes again and listen to music now with like fresh ears twenty years later. I mean, I, and, I, I did <laughs> listen to some of
0: the other stuff and like I do think Document Eight is still a pretty good record. Yeah. I know Spencer from Death Waltz loves that record. Cool. I think he's got I know he's got a page ninety nine tattoo, but like sick. But like I I feel like maybe Maybe it wasn't them. I think it was just the audience, and the audience like conveyed a pretentiousness that wasn't necessarily reflect reflecting the band. It's sort of like you know that old punk rock adage like once a band sells out, you can't like them anymore. Mm-hmm. So when they became super popular, like they were so popular that I remember seeing them at the Auto Bar and they headlined over Converge.
1: Oh wow, okay. Well, check it out. I uh maybe talking a little too much shit here, but. Uh, but when Chris was originally putting out document number five, I remember coming in reptilian. You may have been there with me. You may not like we made many, many trips to reptilian probably alone and together, you know, but I remember coming in and him playing that record for us. It might've been me and you and little Danny. It might've been whoever, but, uh, and, and Chris saying like, and, uh, I think we had, we had seen Page Nine like once or twice, and we thought they were like pretty good. Yeah. But then he, when he was putting out that record, he's like, "No, no, these guys are going to be bigger than Converge." And I remember him like literally saying that. Oh. And and, and uh, because I remember just being like, well, I, well, "I saw him a couple of times. Like, it's all right, you know." Yeah. And he was like, "No, no," and he hit play, and it was like, "Yo, this well, is crazy."
0: And I think there was that moment yeah. that they were. It's sort of like.
1: So they, they hit like one point where they were bigger than Converge, you know what I mean? They I mean, they, you they you can't sustain that. Yeah, I mean somehow Converge just sustained this popularity over the last twenty five. Well, years. Well, Converge fig- you know? Converge figured something out
0: because like Converge was always hybrid hardcore and metal, and I think what they did career wise, which was really smart, other than like the dude that like plays guitar, I forget his name, actually has a recording studio in Sa- in Salem. His name's Kurt, I think, is a Kurt Kurt, Blu- Kurt Blue. Kurt- yeah, it's Kurt Blue. And I, you know, obviously he records a lot of bands. I think he recorded a lot of Hydrahead bands and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I think what Converge did is they figured, like, they took the metal fan base, built it, but they were still signed to, like, by all intents and purposes, a punk label, which is they got signed to Epitaph, and Mm -hmm. they're still on Epitaph. Yeah. And they, you know, whether, like, you know, I'm not the biggest Converge fan, but I respect what they've done and what they built, I actually really like that record they did with chelsea wolf which because i thought it's like they're at the point where they can fuck around and do that and it's cool yeah but like page 99 i think they just got to a point where like they got big and literally the band got bigger because they just kept adding members yeah and i don't think they had a they had anywhere to go And it's not like I'm trying to diss them right, but like certain bands you hit a plateau and it's like either transition to something else or you figure out how to make longevity part of your career.
1: I I think they also chose to break up at like a perfect time for them.
0: Yeah. And I I think most of those dudes still make music like, and they're all in different bands. I can't think of any off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. but I know they're all pretty active still. Yep. for sure. But I, I think you just like that band like hit its peak and like, there was no, there was no going up it was just going to crash and burn and they just basically dissolved it and made music on their own terms like it afforded them the ability to make do new bands and keep making music it didn't you know obviously it didn't give them the converged trajectory of like maintaining but like you know i mean I, I, at any point it's it's fucking cool to be like a band that was fucking huge mm-hmm. that like basically start like you know, I don't know what their expectation was. It was yeah. just like, I think they just wanted to be, like, the best band that was playing any night, and they usually were. Yeah, you know? they
1: fucking figured that out for sure. I'm definitely I'm definitely looking forward to re- revisiting some uh, Page 99 this week.
0: So, as we've had a very long rewatch and w- listen, and we've talked about probably a whole shitload of music that some of you might not know. Some of you might know, but anyway, I mean, that's part of the show. It's like, yeah, movies are important, but, like, you and I... Music's important, too, so... And I think that's a backbone to Cinematic Void anyway. It's, like, it's all the punk ethos. Yeah. It goes in the film programming and all that, so it's all related. So maybe if you're interested, check out Orchid or Page 99. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely both those records are on streaming. Cavity stuff. Some of it might be, but probably not the record I talked about. But that wraps up this episode of the Cinematic Void podcast. Uh, We got a lot of stuff coming out this summer, coming into the fall, so keep your eyes peeled. Make sure you follow Cinematic Void on all your favorite social media platforms just to stay up to date when new podcasts drop. And hey, if you want to support The Void, again, join the Patreon. Early access to the podcast, access to the Cinematic Movie Archive. Plus you get exclusive shit like seeing the in-theater walk-ins, Q&As, intros, and other video shit. So, hey, five bucks a month gets you a lot of cool content at least i think it is i mean i make it so it's i'm a little biased but anyway until next time see see you in the void